You are listening to the Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet 2020 All Media Overload. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. This is our annual end-of-the-year all-media overload. My name is Rob Carmack. That guy over there in Mississippi, quarantined, is uh, J.B. Clark. How you doing, J.B.? What's up? It's been a little while. We have not talked in forever. It ha- Yeah. I mean, in fact, I think the last we, time we in talked... In fact, was I the- just what? reminded you that I even tried to call you a while back. And you, you didn't even call me back. Yeah, I um, yeah, yeah, we've been dealing with some some stuff. I think you and I both, in our <laughs> own sort of way, um, getting. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to say working on mental health problems that until this year I did not realize I had slash oh, did not yeah. realize how severe they were. Um, which you is why I was talking but, to a friend the other day, and he like we were talking about some stuff that he's been going through, and then he said and that's funny about you because you're more like this, and he read like a recent email. You know, back to me. Yeah. <laughs> he he was like, you know, and in college, that really, you know, is why we, I think, got together. Basically, like, we met in a really depressive episode in college, and we, like, then went into these wildly productive manic episodes where we'd be up working on creative projects until, like, four in the morning, and then we'd be in class the next day. Oh, my goodness. And he was like, and you're more, you know, less of a depressive and more prone to manic stuff. And I was like, how'd you know that? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just learned that yesterday. I have the receipts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's what he calls my kids <laughs> the, receipts? the receipts that's funny yeah, um he's great so anyway so thanks so much to everybody for your patience and for for staying with us uh we know that a couple of months ago we did a we finished our second season and we told everybody at the end of the second season that we were on the cusp of starting a third season in which we would talk about jason isbel and we are still going to do that we're just going to start in january the original plan was to start sometime october november and obviously that did not happen for you know all, all these personal reasons that we're sort of talking about right here and um you know we're and i i mentioned on twitter that my dad had covid and was in the hospital and so thanks so much to all of you on twitter who reached out from literally all over the world that was pretty overwhelming actually so thank you so much uh to to everybody for for asking about that he's home he's doing better he's still not totally okay i don't know what what okay even looks like for a 72 year old man who just had covid but uh he's he's working his way back to normal so um anyway thanks so much for everybody's patience on that and our plan currently um i believe jb you correct me if i'm wrong our plan is to in january begin our jason isbel season that's my plan yeah and then after that we'll go back around and we'll uh do more bruce springsteen because letter to you came out since the last time we spoke and, and if we're being honest there may be some more probably like at least besides by the time we record i mean i really hope so I, I hope there's as much as possible i'd love to do as many episodes as we can possibly you know make happen so i'll i'll take whatever bruce has to offer us you know yeah and i'm not too. gonna lie letter to you is great i'm not even gonna yeah. sit here and pretend to not have an opinion about that it, lately the stuff the releases have been real good yeah uh in, in fact it at some point during this uh all media overload we're going to talk about our favorite albums and i'm just going to go ahead and tell you my two favorite albums from this year are the two albums we're not going to talk about because we are going to do a season like my my favorite album of the year was letter to you my second favorite album of the year was reunions by jason isbell and the 400 unit and we are going to do full episodes about both those things so we're just gonna have to set those over to the side and pretend like that that didn't happen this year yeah those were for this episode mm, 
And they were perfect for this year, too. I needed both those albums so bad, and I'm so glad we have them. You know? In fact, what we're going to talk about tonight is just stuff that I needed Yeah, Same. to get through the year. And if we're being honest, like it was not a great year for media. I mean, it was definitely not a great year for movies. There, no, there were. There, I, I would I say there were some movies I was looking to pay twenty dollars to watch a new release the other night, and like I didn't. Yeah, it's just. I mean, yeah. It, it, I mean, if if you're someone who loves going to the movie theater and like relishes like Oscar season and all the big movies that come out every year, it it's been slim pickings, and because. I mean, yeah, I, 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 people just don't know what to do with their their movies. Like the studios and the the distributors are just like, well, do we wait? Do we put them on Netflix? Some and and some some people have chosen one, some people have chosen the other, and it's just been it's just been a weird year. And there have been some good movies. There, I mean, I've I've yeah. I've sat and and we're going to talk about some of them. I'm, I've sat and genuinely enjoyed some movies this year, just not nearly as many as I have in years past. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, on that, do you, I mean, do you want to just jump right into it? You want to talk Let's movies? Let's talk movies, yeah, man. All right. Well, uh, and he, so here's here's what we usually do. Um, we will we we have a list. We have a little rundown. We're gonna go through it. And if you want to skip over any subject that we talk about, there are timestamps for everything in the show notes on on, um, on this episode. I will say we we will try our best to to not spoil like ma- like offer major spoilers. Um, but if you want to know nothing at all about the things that we're talking about, just go ahead and like skip to whatever the next thing is that you're interested in talking about. So anyway, so our, the first thing on our list is the movie The Trial of the Chicago 7. This is a Netflix film. It was written and directed yeah. by Aaron Sorkin. This was uh, this is my favorite movie of 2020. Um, it's based on true events when a group of uh, anti-Vietnam War protesters were charged with conspiracy and inciting a riot in Chicago. And... Um, and it's it's just, it's a pretty incredible story written by I think one of the greatest living screenwriters that we have. And you texted me the other day that you've watched it twice. Like yeah, I watched it and I thought April is gonna love this movie. April's gonna love the guy, the Jerry character, and she did. Like the line you asked that question in the form of a lie, man, is like her. <laughs> that was a great like, line. As soon as that happened, she was just losing it. Um, yeah, it was. It was great. It was very good. Sasha Baron Cohen plays Abby Hoffman, who's probably the most famous, historically probably the most famous of the people who were charged as, as one of the Chicago Seven. Not counting Bobby Seale, who was a whole, he, he who was the national chairman of the Black Panther Party, who was officially not one of the Chicago Seven, but he ended up kind of getting lumped into the trial anyway because racism. And uh, there's a scene. This is a minor spoiler, but there's a scene in the movie where he is gagged during the court proceeding, and that literally happened. Like that. That's yeah. the part of the movie where I like I paused the movie and got out my laptop, and I was like, I have to see see if this really happened, and it absolutely did. That I mean, some straight up messed up. Stuff. I did the same thing, but with the judge early on, I was like, I will not be able to enjoy this movie if I don't know for a fact that this judge was actually this incompetent, and he was, and like intentionally incompetent. You know, um, I mean, it's like he was like, begging to have his ruling overturned. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't understand what he was trying to do except for have a mis, like, drag the thing out and have a mistrial. Yeah, like a, you know, especially for political trial, like, y- y- the point of that is to not have a giant mistrial. You know, yeah. I mean, the point is also to ruin the other people's record. You know. Because they, you know, for all of time, will still haven't been indicted for those crimes. So, I mean, I realize the movie takes place in the 1970s, but like that judge seemed pretty MAGA to me. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking. Is what's the word from Bob Woodward's book? Um, how like how proudly or illiterate the the administration is? Like yeah. that he was like proudly, um, 
um, ignorant. Yeah, ignorance as as a badge of honor is is a thing yeah. that we've we've certainly seen. And this movie, The Trial of Chicago Seven, you can watch it on Netflix. It was originally planned for a theatrical release. It was it was supposed to be like a big Oscar Oscar bait movie, but um, because of COVID nineteen, Paramount uh, Pictures sold it to Netflix, and then they put it out. And I'm really glad they did. I'm glad. I mean, because I mean, quite frankly, like we said, there just weren't a lot of great movies this year. There was there was not a lot of just really exciting. There were, there were only a handful of times in the entire year that a movie was released, and I thought like, oh, I'm stopping down to watch this and trial well, of chicago and this 7 movie is one. as enjoyable on a big screen as it is like on an ipad you know like cuddled up somewhere yeah because it's it's like you're in the court it feels like you're in the courtroom no matter sort of what scale you watch it at well and the, yeah i guess that's part of the charm of it too is because it's aaron sorkin and so dialogue heavy it's easy it's better to listen to so yeah. like if you've got a good pair of headphones you can pretty much enjoy it i think anywhere um which yeah. is probably not the case for the well, next hang on. movie. Oh, real ahead. quick though, watch all the background performances. Everybody in this movie is incredible, uh, especially like the smaller characters. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. It, and, it, it's rich. It's, there's a lot of good stuff going on. And also, I got to write uh, the retirement profile for my, my the most influential writer in my career, Curtis Wilkie. Mm-hmm. I just published it. Uh, News.olmus.edu. It's the it's right there. And there's a lot of audio from all the people there. But anyway, Curtis was there. He he told me a story recently about being at the a delegate in the contested Democratic convention because no they, they needed a white guy from Mississippi, and like he was one of the few. And his his editor was really conservative, but also like very like interested in the democratic process, you know, and he was like, I'm not gonna, he's like, I'll be damned if the newspaper pays a dime for you to be there. And you're not writing about it when you get back, mm. but you'll have a job when you get back. And Curtis was like, that's the most, I respect you as much as I can respect anybody. And uh, anyway, Curtis Wilkie's an incredible, he's like, where's Waldo in any picture of the last 50 years of history. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So like a full yeah, scum. Like, yeah. He's been in all like in the middle East with all, you know, with, so, Yasser, he was like with Yasser Arafat in his tent when they got bombed. Whoa. <laughs> they were just like hanging out because Yasser Arafat liked him. And he's kind of a revolutionary. So, you know, he's not like he's a he's an anti-war guy, but he's a he's a revolutionary spirit. So anyway. Wow. So watching Trial of Chicago 7 while I was like, I just published this story this week and I just, um, you know, watched the movie twice last week. So like it's it's been really fun to be a be in it. That's pretty cool, man. I mean, yeah, that is you're you are adjacent to this super interesting story. Yeah. Um well, speaking of super interesting stories from history, uh the next uh, film on our list is a movie called Mank. And have you have you seen this, JB? I really want to, but I have not been in the mood for yeah. this movie. <laughs> this is this is a, a film it's also on Netflix. It is uh it, it Quasi, we'll say it's a true story. For the purposes of this conversation, we'll call it a true story. It is about uh, Herman Mankiewicz, who is played by Gary Oldman, who was the co-writer of the movie Citizen Kane. Um, very famous, like one of, if not the greatest movies ever made, according to most like film classes, film professors, uh, students of cinema history. Um, it was directed by David Fincher, written by his father, Jack Fincher, who passed away in 2003. So this is very much a passion project. And it is, if, if you... If you've seen Citizen Kane, I, and I, I realize like a lot of people of our generation don't have a deep appreciation for Citizen Kane, I think, especially people who are not like hardcore cinephiles. I really like Citizen Kane. 
And this movie, I figured you did. Seems to, yeah. And I mean, yeah, I, I, whenever I, I heard about this movie, I was like, man, Rob is gonna either really love this movie or be like really critical of it for a very specific reason. No, no, no. I and I, I well, and the thing is, the thing about this movie, and I've I've learned a lot about, I've I've read a lot of pieces about this movie, and I know that it was, it's based on an article that was written by I want to say Pauline Kael about like back in the seventies about the true authorship of Citizen Kane, which has always been sort of in um up for debate like but there, there was there was always a lot of tension between orson wells and herman mankiewicz about who was really ultimately responsible for the story of citizen kane and they um they, they even accepted the screenwriting oscar in separate locations from each other like they would not <laughs> be like mankiewicz refused to attend the academy awards and so um anyway so it, it, it's a it's a really interesting story it's well told and really it's it if you've seen Citizen Kane, if you have memories of seeing Citizen Kane, you will be rewarded by watching this movie because there are a lot of – like it's shot in black and white. The audio is mixed in the same way as it is. It, it feels like you're watching a different version of – like an alternate universe version of Citizen Kane and not in just like a gimmicky way, but it's a, it's, it's a compelling way. It's, a, it's an interesting story. Um, it is – it does sort of – historically, it does sort of like play fast and loose with, again, like authorship questions. and But um, I, I don't think it's trying not to. I, th- I think it's just trying to sort of give you the perspective of a guy who was sort of a contentious screenwriter back in what is often referred to as the golden age of Hollywood. So anyway, it, it's, it's a good movie. It's worth watching if you have Netflix. There, there, again, there aren't a lot of movies to just get super excited about from this year. I think this is one of them though. So that's, that is Mank. Um, the next movie on our list – is Palm Springs, JB. And this is one that you and I both talked about. Yeah, Palm Springs. Uh, what a, like, just, and couldn't have come out at a better time. Was it too early in the pandemic? Was it too late in the pandemic? Was somehow filmed right before and released during the pandemic with no pending knowledge that there would be a pandemic? Um, I mean, what a gift we received from Hulu, right? This was This was the first movie that I watched this year that I thought, like, Oh, movies are okay. You know what I mean? Like I th- th- this for a little while yeah. was my favorite movie of 2020 for exactly the reasons you're talking about. Like I just I I remember watching and thinking like, "Oh, I'm still allowed to enjoy movies." Like I can I yeah. like I movies have not been ruined by 2020. And uh, that like you're saying, that was a gift. It reminded me and this was a great lesson to learner, you know, at the time I did of that like you can enjoy something that isn't like critically incredible. Um, just for the sake of it being enjoyable, like it's, this is like the first sort of big earnest swing of 2020 in a year that like, I think was saved by earnest, big earnest swings. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And it was just, who played the guy, the bad guy, JK Simmons. Yeah, man. <laughs> if you could even call that character the bad guy, which is, they do sort of position well, um, for the sake of, for the sake of no spoilers, he's the bad guy. Yeah. It, you are introduced to him as an antagonist in the movie. And, Man, if he didn't give me that speech when he gave it to me, I, I, I been, I've been, might have been in a little more trouble. That was – and, and really, this is one of those movies like you, it's, it's hard to know exactly how much to talk about because it is – it really does it, – it is – you were rewarded. The, the less you know, the more rewarding the movie is, I think. Yeah, so we won't say anything. But, but we could. I mean, we can, we, at the very least, we can say like there's a Groundhog Day type of situation. Situation. Yeah. And it's really – 
It's like uh, what was the space movie uh, with with uh, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Garner? Passengers. Oh, I, I never it's saw like it. It's like the good version of that. That movie was great until like it became an action movie, and then <laughs> he literally was like, "If it gets any hotter, she's gonna blow." And I just at that moment was just like, "Man." <laughs> come on this was a good movie <laughs> but uh it's this palm springs is earnest and i want to say two other big swings and misses that were just nice uh in this sort of a very similar vein um in sort of like an escape uh from reality um really sort of more real in some places than others but like surreal love like rom-com but that you don't feel uh, that like even dudes who feel weird about watching rom-coms can enjoy would be uh, the lovebirds with Issa Rae and uh, come on on Johnny come on Johnny on Netflix and desperados with um, Nassim Pedrad and Lamorne Morris. Uh, those were both real good sort of like earnest, surreal swings and i just that's the theme this year and i just wanted to tip my hat to him i don't want to talk about i was gonna it. say you snuck in a couple of extras in there i see what you did there. it's a theme it's a theme i got We're you going. i got you the theme is earnest the importance of being earnest well and the thing about palm springs is in addition to being earnest it is genuinely funny like there, there are so there are points along the, the way that i laughed so hard i like the some of the laughs like caught me so off guard and I, I was so I was so thoroughly entertained by this movie. And really, that's the thing about this movie is this is this is maybe the most entertaining movie I saw all year. Like sometimes, especially in 2020, sometimes all I want is to turn something on and to be taken to a place and to enjoy something for two hours. And this movie fully gave me that. And I, I am so grateful that Palm Springs came out this year. And this was when I was kind of like, I'm going to Andy Samberg is going to really annoy me, isn't he? And this happened with American Pickle, too. I was like, oh, this is going to be annoying. And it wasn't. It was just like a really earnest performance from a funny guy. And I felt bad for um, – oh, I just forgot her name. She's an incredible musician and Andy Sandberg's wife. Oh, uh, Joanna Newsom. Yeah, I was like, I wonder how Joanna Newsom feels about, like, this uh, andy Kristen, uh like, chemistry. It's, like, just so good and bright-eyed. You know they what do I mean? Have, they do have really great chemistry, yes. And they both just play this, like, sort of bright-eyed – uh, optimism in the face of just like fuck it, ah, <laughs> uh, which is this? It's twenty twenty, man. Uh, all right, well, talk about Eurovision. Eurovision is another just big swing and maybe miss. I don't know if you don't like Will Ferrell, then miss. <laughs> I, I did not see this. This is I think this is the only thing on this list I have not seen. I, I'm not like I don't like the Will Ferrell uh, ice skating movie that much. My brother's like on board with it, but I think that some of his movies are absolutely incredible. I thought that Simi Pro was so golden, <laughs> um, but Rachel McAdams is so funny and so good in this movie. And Will Ferrell is huge, but she like she plays this. She connects it to Earth a little bit, you know? Yeah. And there, it's just him and her. They're this. They're this like uh, Icelandic sort of like synth saga metal band <laughs> that make it onto Eurovision. And it Will Ferrell like wanted to make this movie because his wife's from from like I forget where, one of those, you know, sort of like tall blonde very you know like white countries. Country. Yeah. Yeah. And where they and he's he just he loves Eurovision because of how infected they are with it, you know? 
And uh, and so he he made this from a place of not making fun of it, but from a place of like loving how campy it is, but how you know genuinely everyone goes nuts about it, and they're just some remarkable performances. And this is this is also a Netflix original. So like so far yeah. everything that we, in fact, I think every movie on this list, if you have all the streaming services, you can watch all these movies. So mm-hmm. that's that's new. That's a 2020 <laughs> thing yeah. where you don't have to leave your house to watch any of these movies. And so, yeah, Eurovision, Mank, and Trial of the Chicago 7 are all Netflix or- originals. Also, Eurovision features um, a lot of stars from past years in Eurovision. Um, so that's that's a lot of fun. There's just really? some – There's just like – because Eurovision is all about huge, epic talent. You know what I mean? Like – it's about being able to like make the like fill the stage, you know. Like if you just play a guitar by yourself, your song better be so sad or infectious that it fills the stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so um, it's it's incredible. Um, it's like the movies aren't incredible, but just if you're I heard it's funny. Do, yeah, if you're looking for something to do, man, it is a it is a fun night. Well, and again, like that's a 2020 thing too, right? Like that's you're not you look, it, yeah. you're not looking for credit. You're not every movie has to be Citizen Kane. Like sometimes, it's just like I'm glad I didn't watch it in the theater. I'm glad I watched it at home. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you: Have I mean, was a major left turn? Have you seen Boy State? No, I, I want to, but I I feel like it. I I wasn't a Boy State person, but like that's a big thing where I grew up. So yeah, I kind of I, I, I kind of like I already know. I'm not sure I want to go back. Well, then I mean, you grew up in Texas, right? Texas and Mississippi, yeah. Yeah. So and this this movie takes place in that Texas boy state. So like this could have this is like an alternate version of your own like adolescence. I, mm-hmm. I grew up in Oklahoma. They also have Boy State in Oklahoma. I was actually I was asked I was invited to apply to Boy State because you have to in order to go to Boy State, you have to like go to the Ameri- American Legion and like write an essay and do an interview. And I just straight up told them I didn't want to. Like I, I was just not interested. Yeah. And um, yeah. my dad was really frustrated with me for that, but I just, I didn't want to go. Like it, it sounded horrible. It sounded it was like my government camp. Very supportive of me not being interested in trying to go schmooze with a politician to get. Yeah, they were very supportive of me not doing that. Yeah, the, I I mean I having seen this documentary, I would not mind my kids not caring about going to Boy State because I mean and and this is I should say this is the only documentary on the list. It, you can watch if you have Apple TV Plus, you can watch this. And it was made by the same people, the, the documentarians who made a movie called The Overnighters a few years ago, which I really liked, um, which is – we don't have time to get into it. But this movie, Boy State, is – it's a bit of a Rorschach test, I find. Like anybody I talk to who's seen it, you can you, – you could see it as either A, a hopeful sign of civic engagement and the fact that one of the kids, the more earnest – like the, this kid named Steven, is able to do as well as he does in the system – of Boy State, or you, so you can see it in like this, a glass half full way, or you can see it as it, as a cynical revelation of how intuitively some people can game the system as a way of gaining power, and disenfranchising others, and how early and easily we learn how to do that in systems that reward that type of thing. Yeah. Both of those things are true about this movie, and so you can watch this movie and be like, "Oh God, we are we are screwed." And you, although, or you can watch this movie and think like, "Oh hey, this r- one really good, earnest, like idealistic kid seems to have found a way to sort of do well in a system that rewards things l- that are like." messed up you know like it, yeah in, in a world where one character is like straight up compared to um 
like I I forget like Carl Rove or um, like he compares himself to Ben Shapiro at one point like like not oh. not people I would want to be compared to as an adolescent or ever and you you so you sort of have people and it's all sort of in the name uh, or Roger Stone I think is 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 one person like one of these kids gets compared to and you think like yeah because some of these kids act like sociopaths because all they're trying to do is win and what this movie shows you is like yeah the system has a way of rewarding people for doing that but it also has a way of um rewarding people for being earnest and like being ideological and and genuinely like maintaining their own set of values which in 2020 is you know that was i mean it was a timely movie to have come out anyway um that's more time than we had to talk about boy state but boy state is a if you if you only watch one documentary i would recommend boy state um so the next one is also from apple tv plus this was on your list greyhound yeah, so Greyhound is um, – it's not, like, earth-shattering in any way. I didn't, like, learn much except for that, like, me and you started saying, like, who's got the con uh, on the podcast. <laughs> well, that's from Star but, Trek. Well, yeah, but also this. We started saying it this year oh. after we both watched this. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, you said it to me for the first time after we both watched it because I said, wait, did you watch Greyhound this week? And you were like, yeah, why? <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny because I always uh, associate that phrase with Star Trek. But, yeah, you're right. They did say that in Greyhound. Uh, man, season one of Star Trek would have been incredible if they were all 37 minute episodes. Yeah. But that's a whole nother conversation. I mean, it would have been Ah. the best season of TV ever. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and I I mean that so genuinely Greyhound, I wanted to, I wanted to watch a war movie and I don't know how, I don't feel good about like ever feel good about that desire, but like war movies are just, you gotta watch them. Um, and so uh, I guess did 1917 come out this year? No, technically that was a 2019 movie. Okay, cool. Because that was incredible. But um, like there wasn't a good war. Like the other day, I tried to watch Midway because and everybody gave me bad reviews, and I got five minutes in, and I was like, I don't want to watch this movie. Yeah. And this was just like a well done action movie with a lot of sort of like waiting and suspense. You know, like it's hard to do a movie at, at sea, and and they did it. You know. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's really lean. It's very simple. And it 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 is it really it's a straight it's I mean not unlike 1917 it's a, a bit like a video game like you got to get from point A to point B and you got to do it without getting blown out of the water yeah know? it is yeah um it's like it's closer to Hunt for Red October than U five seven one but it's not as mm. good as Hunt for Red October yeah and and Tom Hanks I mean it's it, it it's it really is like as far as war movies go it is especially compared to another Tom Hanks movie uh, Saving Private Ryan which is not at all lean it's it it's a you know, it's an overlong. It's a great movie, but yeah. it's all it's it's overlong. It's, it covers a lot of time and space. And this movie, it really doesn't. It, it's pretty much just like there's this, you know, there's this space in the ocean where a a boat that's traveling in the middle of war can't get cover, and he they, you just got to stay alive. You just got to stay in the water, you know, or and stay above like the water. Five uh, German submarines. They're the wolves, and they're like taunting them and trying to lure out some boats in the um you know while they don't have any air cover yeah and that's it and it's i've watched it twice that's another movie i watch twice and i don't watch movies twice ever well it's an easy one to watch twice it's really short and it moves it moves at a really steady clip and like tom hanks when he's 80 could play a movie where he's like an actual soldier in a war and i would be like bye bye <laughs> absolutely national <laughs> treasure he's just a good he plays a really good like well i was a teacher and then I joined the, you know, like I taught at the Naval Academy, and then uh, they gave me my own command, and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. You know, he just plays somebody who's got something to go back to, 
really well. He 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 does have a natural just sort of relatability that you just sort of like you 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 want so badly to like him and mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's effortless to to do so. Yeah. So speaking of war, it's gonna movies, be like it's gonna be kind of like Dad Mulan. He's you know he's gonna yeah. be like, well, it's cut off, and it was either me and my boy, and well, he's got a boy on the way himself. So yeah, I signed up. He'll be in the movie <clears throat> version of the song "Cats in the Cradle." Yeah, I yeah. won't be jumping out of any planes, but I yeah. think I can do my job in the tank. <laughs> well, speaking of war movies, have you seen The Old Guard? No, I, I tried a little bit, but I, it, the movie coming out got me to finally read the comic, which I was like, this was such a breezy read, and it was good, and it wasn't like, it didn't mean anything. It was just like, what is what is life? What is war? Well, that, yeah, and, I mean, okay, okay, so, yeah, The Old Guard is an action movie, it's a pretty high-budget, like, high-concept action movie that was released on Netflix, and it stars Charlize Theron, uh, JB mentioned, it. it is based on a comic by Greg Rucka and Lilando uh, Fernandez, and the basic premise is, it's about this group of elite warriors who are hundreds, if not thousands of years old, and cannot be killed, and it is... The comic is incredible. I I love. It's one of my Greg Rucka is one of my favorite comic writers, and this is one of my favorite things. Dude, yeah, ever Greg Rucka's uh, GCPD is like GCPD is great. Uh, Lazarus is one of my favorite things ever. Like I've he, read one volume. Uh, he does some stuff with Brubaker. I forget what he did with Brubaker that I love so much. Oh, that was GCPD. Uh, he did something else with Brubaker. Oh, I don't know. Um, but and yeah, then Sean, but it's not criminal. It's Sean Phillips. But yeah, Rucka. If there's like action. Rucka's got it. He's great. So, so this movie is based on that comic, and and like you said, like the it it does sort of have kind of a almost a nihilistic vibe, and they do in the movie towards and I, I won't spoil it, but towards the end of the movie they do. And, and Greg Rucka co-wrote the screenplay, so like it's it, it's true enough to the comic. But they do sort of at a certain point decide like rather than it just sort of be like this nihilistic commentary on war and um and and violence they decided to like redeem it a little bit and give it sort of like a, Oh, but you don't know, like the lives you save go on to, you know, be significant. Like they, they do sort of try and baptize it a little bit, which I don't really mind, yeah. you know, cause I, you they know, they do I, that in the comics. Some. Yeah. Um, it, it's more about trying to solve the mystery, but they deal with the comic. I think they were going to deal with it more in the comic until it got optioned. You know, didn't it feel like the comic maybe was going to go on? Well, it did. Like, but they 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 reset it. They 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 started doing it in volumes. So they did like, uh, um. So now now it's it's continuing, but it's under like a, an alternate title, which I I'm assuming the alternate title version of it is going to be the sequel because they're they're definitely yeah. like if you're if you're following the along the comic, it pretty much is just like if you saw the end of the movie, this is pretty much the net the next thing that would happen. You know, yeah. and so um, I I will say the movie had. Probably the most nightmarish version of a death I've ever seen or like a like quasi death scene that I've ever seen in my whole life. And I won't spoil what it was, uh, but it, it involves water. And I'm just going to go ahead and leave it there. And if you saw the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about because it it for sure freaked you out. So um, speaking of quasi the, the most gnarly death scenes ever, we're going to talk about video games later. And there's two that came out this year that there were moments where like I don't you're just like I had to kill this guy to get on to the next part but like i just don't want to go through that so i'm just gonna turn it off <laughs> like no man 
I just can't do that to another person right now. I do yeah. sometimes it, when I'm playing video games. I do worry, like I have, I feel conflicted if I don't save people because, like, oh man, I really hope they're going to be okay. But I realize they're just ones and zeros. This is not the Matrix. You know what I mean? Like so. Anyway. Oh yeah, there's so many achievements about like trying to like pull your city out of a out of like a crime wave. You yeah. Know, like all the city building games I play, but like I run such a uh, like a value packed city. You know, like that's why it's so hard <laughs> for me. Yeah, because like I just can't, in good conscience, like bring the coal industry into town, um, <laughs> and because yeah, because I'm such a good guy when I play it. I understand. Um, yeah. Right, well, the next the next item on our list is onward. This is onward the... just feels good, man. It's just like a, it's funny because it's about uh, it's about like fairy tale creatures. Yeah, sort of in the real world in a fairy tale real world, but like. They're like the, you know, the older brothers, like into metal and Dungeons and Dragons, you know, like they're teenagers or whatever still. Yeah. And it's just these two brothers go on a quest, like a brother quest to find their dad. And, um, you know, it's just the, the, you know, the reward is the friends you made along the way kind of story. For sure. Yeah. And it's a Pixar movie and, um, yeah, and it feels like a Pixar movie. Yeah. And it just felt good for them to see it. You know, it was just like a good. Yeah, I, I was really glad you put this on the list for one reason. And it's that this is the last movie I saw in a theater. Yeah, and it came out in March. Yeah, like oh, it came wow. it came out in March. It came out the week before everything started shutting down because it came out right at the beginning of, of our spring break. And we took our kids to see it. And it was so fun. It was one of those things like we, we, this is just a thing that we do as a family. We take our kids to see movies, and then we haven't done that again <laughs> since nope. March. And so, like this, like when you put this on the list, I was like, oh yeah, we used to take our kids to the movies. The movies, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a really good. It's a heartwarming movie. You can you can see it now on Disney Plus if you have that. Um, yeah, yeah. So super tech. Yeah, man. I'm glad. So, did you guys watch it? Did you see it in the theater before everything shut down, or did you guys watch? No, it? No, we watched it on Disney Plus when. It- came on there and watched it just on the couch as a family. Did you kids we like don't it? do the movies as a family. Like I like to go to the movies by myself. Um every, you know like once a month. And that's a you know, and April likes to go like once a year. Mm. But her she wants to be like on the couch under a blanket watching like a Quentin Tarantino movie when it's cold out with, you know, like a hot toddy. That's her like ideal. I can respect that. Yeah, she's not. She hates going places and being around people. <laughs> I can respect that too. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, have you seen the Vast of Night? So I haven't seen either of the next two. So I'll, I'll let you just take it away, and I'm, I'll just sit back and enjoy the ride. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll keep it quick. Uh, the Vast of Night is a uh, movie that came out this year on Amazon Prime, uh, and this was it, it. Pretty much plays like a like an extended episode of the Twilight Zone. This was quite possibly the most impressive movie I saw this year. And when I say impressive, I mean, just like this is a filmmaker who had never made anything before came out of nowhere. This feels like early Steven Spielberg. This, this to me feels, it feels like ET. It feels like close encounters of the third kind. It feel and it all takes place in one night. It is suspenseful. It is shot. It is shot like a Steven Spielberg movie. Um, there are there there the opening scene is like this one really long tracking shot through a high school gymnasium that is straight up like one of the coolest things I've seen 
on my home TV, just in how this guy pulls this. And I'm not somebody who just gets hung up on all like the, the technical aspects of how a person makes a movie, but knowing that yeah. this is the first movie this person ever made. And they made it by the way, in Texas and in Oklahoma. So like a lot of the setting feels familiar. Yeah. Um, it is, and it, 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 there's a bit of a mystery to it. There's a sci-fi, it, it's a sci-fi mystery story. It takes place in a small town, Texas in one night. Um, I don't want to say too much about the story. It is very worth your time. If you're like sitting at home and just thinking like, I just want a, a really good, fun, enjoyable, like thriller, mystery, sci-fi type movie to watch some night when it's cold outside, man, cue up the vast of night, give it 30 minutes. And I promise you, if you're not, if you're not hooked before the 30 minutes is up, feel free to move on. But, um, it, I, I would I'm be in. surprised. You, you convinced me, dude. I'm in. Oh, cool. I've just gotten into Stephen King this year for the first time, like as a as a suspense writer. I've been into him as a other, like as a writer of things about writing and as a public figure. But as and so that that sounds very like Stephen King to me. I'm into it. It's it is very much yeah. If if you if you like Stranger Things, if you like um yeah Stephen King type things, then yes, by all means. I've only seen season one of Stranger Things, and I loved it. But it was just like I felt like I've already seen the other ones. Just yeah, walking around in the world, and so I haven't. I want to maybe one day, but it just feels like there's too much pressure now. I mean, no kidding. Just sitting here talking about the vast of night, I kind of want to just turn it on again. Like it, it is just so so good. Tomorrow, yeah, you should. Let, totally. Let me know when you you've watched it. It's um, it is very much worth your time. And then the final movie on our list is a movie that I just watched two nights ago. It's called Baccarat. And this is a – I wanted to I, – I really wanted to include at least one foreign language film on here just because Parasite won last year. And I've got – I've really gotten into foreign language films in the last few years, and I wanted to at, at the very least acknowledge one. And so Baccarat, it's a Brazilian film. It's basically a Western. It's, so it's mostly spoken in Portuguese, but there are a few actors who speak English in the film. You'll recognize at least one of the, one of the actors who is – um, I think he's German, but you'll he's, he's one of these character actors who pops up everywhere. I don't know his name, but I, I want to not give anything away about this movie, but I feel like I kind of have to just a little bit in order to convince people to watch it. But if you have the Criterion channel, you can you can watch it right now. Um, it's basically you've got this town in Brazil, this remote town called Baccarat, and it seems at first like it's going to be a movie uh, just sort of about like the life of this town. But what it ends up becoming is sort of like this. Um, like I said, sort of like a Western in which, um, again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to decide how much to give away. If you don't want to know anything about this and you plan to watch it then move on, uh, then skip forward about a minute. But if you are just curious, the, the basic premise is you've got this small town in remote, remote Brazil and this group of wealthy, um, Europeans and Americans have decided that they're going to come in and they're going to wipe this town out for sport. And what they don't know, there, 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 there are things about the town that they don't know that make the town a lot more formidable than, uh, than they're expecting. And so it becomes, it becomes, it's a, it's a pretty classic sort of like a people are coming to destroy our town and we have to defend it kind of story. So sort of like the Three Amigos, Seven Samurai, uh, you know, um, Magnificent Seven, A Bug's Life. You know, like it's, it's not unlike a lot of these stories that you've seen a bunch. But um, it's it's really compellingly told, and it's it's told. And when it when it's a, a a movie that takes place in another country in another culture, like there are these like little um, flourishes that you would not get in an American made film that make it kind of special and kind of interesting. And the characters are really great. 
And um, I, it's just it, like I said, I just watched it a couple of nights ago, and I like I was genuinely surprised at how much I really loved this movie. And it, it, and the only reason I watched it is because it showed up on like five different lists of like critics that I followed their best of the year list. So I decided I'll, I'll give it a shot. So I queued up the Criterion Channel app and I watched it and fully was rewarded for it. It was a great movie. So anyway, back around. Um. All right, dude. That's a good wreck too. I'll, yeah. I'll do it. All right, let's Perfect. talk TV. You put The Good Place, which I fully endorse on your list. Yeah, so it, it wrapped up this year, right? Yes. Um, what a show. I mean, season one, I love everyone in it, and I was not feeling it. But I love everyone in it. Like, literally everyone in it I am a huge fan of. Like, Darcy Carden won me over the second I saw her on uh, Broad City. Um, just being the like way too intense workout person. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, the, uh, who is, oh, sorry, Ted Danson and, and, and everybody else, uh, Kristen Bell. And then I fell in love with all the other people as I met them. Yeah. I think che- um, Cheaty, and- I, I can't remember the guy's oh. name right off the top of my head, but yeah. the guy that plays Cheaty is, I think, one of the best discoveries of the whole show. He is so funny. He was in an episode of High Maintenance or Easy, which is the Swanberg Chicago show. I, I think it was High Maintenance, like when it was a web series. You Okay, congratulations. I was concerned that you didn't have High Maintenance on your list. Like, this is going to be it's gonna be the first time ever you've not mentioned High Maintenance on oh, our end of the year yeah. show, and the you did it. The reason I didn't is because you were like, yeah, I didn't say reply all our High Maintenance, because you're like, yeah, you say it every year. And uh, you just did. You just totally did. Well, and, and just if we're being honest real quick, this is the best season of High Maintenance ever. April finally watched an episode – Cause she used to always be like, "Oh, it's just because it's about weed and being high." And she watched an episode. She was like, "Oh shit, this is an incredible TV show." <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, this is the best thing on television." And she's since seen like the web series and every episode. I mean, I have yet to show someone an episode and then them not go on and watch the rest of it. You know what All I mean? Right. Like, it's just. I'm gonna have so, to get to sorry. it. Sorry. No, no, no. I you're right. You're right. Place. I gotta check it out. You're. You, you 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 have been a very effective evangelist on on the show and uh... dude and honestly start with the webisodes okay they're on HBO but like start with those before you start with the real HBO episodes they're hilarious okay and they're small and they're beautiful I'll check it out all right you can just do three minutes tonight and I promise you'll do another one. <laughs> <laughs> to, but, but, I mean, it, whenever we get done, there's no way I'm gonna have time to watch any TV. Uh, three minutes. I mean, uh, my, it's a short. My schedule time. is packed. <laughs> I have to do things like sleep later. <laughs> yes. So anyway, so the good place. Uh, you the were you place. were saying that, uh, and and I I found this this was a show that the concept was so high, and the concept yeah. and it was such an interesting idea. And every episode they they pulled like a hat trick where I was like, how in the world are they going to get out of this? Not on like, like breaking bad or something like, you know what I mean? Like every episode I, I kept yeah. thinking like, what, what do you do next? And then they did it. And all the way to the very end, I, I found this to be the most satisfying series finale yeah. possibly I've ever seen. Well, and the twist in season one, April said she saw it coming, but like, I, I just thought it was too, I didn't, I thought that was too much of a, sh- uh, a twist for like TV. Yeah, you know, it's like Twin Peaks. You know, you're like, this was on, this was on TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, notice, I'm not the one that brought up Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah, I want, I want I, that known okay. on the record. Well, you're the one who. Wait, no, you brought up cheating, and then I said, "All right, never mind. You're right. Nope, you're right, you're right. nope, nope, nope." <laughs> 
So, <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. And everybody they brought in to play a bit part for a couple episodes, or even like every other episode for the whole series. <laughs> yeah, we still like to this day. My wife and I will like say things like two shakes of a lamb's Derek." Like we will quote the Jason Manzuka's character constantly. Oh. Very undaring mess down there. Yeah, <laughs> I would pay so much money to have Jason Manzukis follow me around and yell insults at me yeah. for a day. He's got one of the best voices in all of show business. He's very and funny. anytime he's on a podcast, he is so funny. He just immediately starts beef with whoever the owner of that podcast company is. Yeah, um, he's a great. He's just a great human. Like like but, what uh, like what podcast have you heard him on that he's done that? On Reply All, <laughs> a couple times. He'll get on there and he'll be like, where's Goldman? Is that coward not going to face me? And then he's also done it on uh, Binge Mode or on The Rewatchables. I just wanted uh, to so see if Bill I could get Simmons. you to mention Reply All, and you did. Oh, jeez. You're such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you walked right into it. You didn't even notice that you walked right into it. I didn't. It. I, I was like, I was just, no, honestly, as soon as you asked me that question, I was like, uh, wait, he really wants to know this specific fact? No, I knew the exact answer. I knew I knew what you were going to say before you said it. But I got so I excited you that up. you asked me that question. Like, you, you, you played right into my an hands. obvious portal, right? And then I was, like, so excited <laughs> to walk <laughs> in. Oh, man. Well, anyway, so The Good Place was great. Jason Manzoukas, in addition to all the other guest stars, fantastic. Great Another show. remarkably earnest show. I mean, it makes you wonder, like, whatever Mike Sure does next, I'm going to watch. Like, the, it is... He's doing a thing. Or is that Craig Daniels? Who's doing a thing called, like, Upload or something. Oh, that's... Uh, Greg Daniels did Upload. I know. Oh. It, it, I watched it. It was pretty good. Um, okay, yeah. I I'm ready for Mike Sure's next thing. No, and this mixes up so many, like, good points. This reminds me of the book Lamb. You know, it just, like, mixes up so many wonderful points. Yeah. Uh, was well, a genuine of, from exploration of, like... like moral philosophy yeah it's just like so much it's just like it takes a little bit from everybody and mashes it together and that's honestly that's the joke in the like the second episode about that about the uh oh jeremy got really high one night and got got 95 percent right it was uncanny we were really rooting for him yeah like that that joke bought me the next like seven episodes and then they had the twist and i was like And then there was just enough of a twist, and not even a twist, but just something so weird, like Jeremy Barramy, where I'm like, well, I got to know about this. <laughs> I, I think about Jeremy Barramy once a day. My birthday is in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's talk about Lovecraft Country. Did you, did you watch Lovecraft Country? I have not finished it. I watched the first episode. Me and April were just like, we will continue this. At a date to be named later. <laughs> this, you this know, show, it was just like, whoa, okay. Man, I don't know how you watch that pilot and don't immediately go to the next episode. That's maybe the best pilot I've ever seen in my whole life. What? No, we did watch the second episode, but it's just like, it's so much. It's dense. It takes patterns of white supremacy from American history and cre- and uses them to create a premise for like a classic horror story, like a, yeah. like a haunted house story or like a like lost in the woods type story. Um, and, and so, yeah, it takes a lot of the tropes from horror movies and, like you said, like and, and takes white supremacy and creates that – And uses specifically H.P. Lovecraft, who was like a virulent racist. Very racist, yes. And so the writers basically like grew up being like sci-fi nerds and then realized that a lot – like they're, they're writers of color and they're 
they're like, oh no. And then they thought like these are a couple of them were like, we can re you know, like we can reclaim this. Yeah, man. I mean, hey, it's white people have been cool. stealing from black people for hundreds of years. Hundreds. It's about time somebody <laughs> it's about well, time it, some uh, some black writer decided like can we just do that too? You know? <laughs> I'm sitting in the capital of white people stole from black people. Yeah. Like every episode is a big, heavy swing at, at some pretty major high concept ideas. And it like Jordan Peele is one of the producers on the show. So and you mentioned Get Out before and uh, Us is a similar kind of idea, yeah. which is to take like, yeah, I, like historical Not white supremacy and take horror anything like Get Out. This is nothing like Get Out. It's just like it's similar in that it just maps. Yes. Like live black experience onto horror tropes. Yeah, well I mean that that's the thing is like it not like if you take Jordan Peele's body of work and you're like I want to find a way to explain to white people the terror that black people have felt in in this country but I want to do it in a way that doesn't seem preachy and I want to do it in a way that doesn't just show you like civil war footage. You know what I mean? Like what would you do? And I think Jordan Peele has built up like, along like including this this show that he's a producer on has built up a body of work that does a good job of saying like these horror tropes are actually a pretty effective way at getting at like the real fear and terror of what it's been like to be a person of color in this country. But it also later on in the series, it gets, gets into like the terrors that were committed by American soldiers in uh, Korea. And like, there are like, it's, it's just, it does a really good job of dealing with like the historical trauma dealt to and by people in in various places and but it uses horror tropes to get at it and it's a really interesting way to explore american history and um i i i thoroughly enjoyed it i was there were a couple of episodes that i was like that that was way too dense for me like there were two episodes i can i'm thinking of right now that i was like i i don't even know how to even process those episodes they were so weird but at the same time like for the, for the most part there were some pretty incredible stuff going on in that show yeah, it was wild. It yeah, was great. It was wild. I, I mean, I was. I'm still in it, but um, and, and I can't wait to finish. It's it's worth watching. But yeah, I I would not I would not binge this show. I, I would watch at best one episode a week. It is it yeah, is heavy yeah. and it is dense. That's where we're at. We're we're about to probably pick up and do that one a week. Um, and then uh, this is yours, nine one one Lone Star. Yeah. All right. So, uh, this show rules. <laughs> Okay. So it's like a Ryan Murphy like action drama, you know, like Thursday night. Set in Texas, ABC. I assume. Yeah, and so 911, I think it was in Chicago. They did like a season of 911 and it's like pretty big. I think Lone Star has since been canceled. Oh, uh, or like a lead dropped off, I don't remember. Uh and I'm bummed, but like the premise is kind of like Rob Lowe was found out that Ryan Murphy wanted to work with him on something else like a long time ago. And he was like, what? <laughs> but Ryan Murphy like thought he couldn't get Rob Lowe, like a movie star. And you know, Rob Lowe's like, I, I would be perfect for something like over dramatic, you know, nice firefighter show, you know? And so they get Liv Tyler and they just bring in a lot of other folks that like, I'm not familiar with or that I've seen like here and there. And it's great. They just bring in people of like, there's a good bit of like, over the top, you know, basically he's trying to re revamp a fire station in Austin, Texas. And he was like, he's like a hotshot chief from New York. And so he's, he's trying to, yeah, like he was at nine 11 and all, a lot of the guys died at this station. So he's there to revamp it. Um, and so there's just a lot of like, uh, you know, he brings in a very diverse crew 
And a lot of it's like getting like, uh, you know, ABC trying to get these people on TV. And a lot of it's like writing the story about him bringing a diverse crew. But a lot of it's like just casting really cool people and telling fun stories like in Texas, in Mm. Austin, which is like a diverse city, which is a not just like it's diverse in, in left and right and white and black and brown. And it's all over the place, you know, and it's. And so it's fun. They play with that. It's so on the nose. It's on. It's touching your nose while saying on the nose. <laughs> but like it's 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 an escape. <laughs> well, sometimes that's like, all you there's need. There's a man. tornado in one of the episodes, dude, and it looks like it looks like Lo- the Adventures of Lois and Clark special effects. <laughs> it, it bad. Mm. Um, it's like it's a Ryan Murphy show with six point five stars on IMDb, which is like. <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> It should have probably nine stars, you know, just being like a, you know, the kind of show that would get those IMDb ratings or, you know, for this kind of show. So it's not it ain't good. But yeah, well, it's fun. We'll talk about Superstore. I, I watched all of Superstore this year and they they did some, you know, fun stuff like, you know, current day stuff. Not a bunch, but, you know, they talked about the pandemic and retail and 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 uh, man, what an earnest show. What a beautiful cast. You just root for everybody. And they all they all suck. Every single <laughs> one. They all suck. And it's just Mateo for president, man. Uh, <laughs> I've only seen the first two seasons and I really enjoyed it. I'm just not I'm not I'm not caught up to where you are yet. There was just a moment where I was like everything. So I was just so depressed this year for a, like a, the longest maybe the second longest I've ever been in my life. Mm. And I came off like a real heavy manic episode, which I'm I'm finding out about. And so like there, I just needed something I didn't have to think about and didn't care about. And then it ended up being like the friends I made along the way, you yeah. know, kind of thing. <laughs> Again, <laughs> here's the theme, and it was just so sweet. Everybody there is just trying to get through the day. That's it. And I mean, we felt that so acutely this year. This is one of those shows, and again, I'm not caught up to where you are. This is one of those shows, it's just, it's effortless to watch. And I mean that in the best way possible. Like, all the characters, it's it's not unlike The Office, right? Like, you can just sort of sit. It's 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 like sort of just like settling into a comfortable chair, you know? And if you have Hulu, no commercials. I mean, if you have Hulu commercials, it's a short episode. If you like Hulu, no commercials, it's an episode's like 17 and a half minutes. Yeah, it's a and quick so, watch. Or 21, 24. And so, like... You're zipping through these. It's one of those like, oh, it's ten thirty. I'll watch another one, and then you're like, oh, it's not ten forty. You know, it's like not eleven yet. All right, I'll do another one. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, it's two in the morning. Um, do you want to start season three? <laughs> well, I, well, I gotta know what happened. <laughs> you know. Yeah. That that's the only thing I've I've not yet gotten to on the show, which is the, the point at which I'm like, well, I need to know what happened. Like I watch an episode, I'm like, well, that was fine. You know, like that was, yeah. that was enjoyable. Yeah. You know. Um. But I do I, – I enjoy I, I enjoy the setup and I enjoy the characters. So I'll, I, I'm going to keep going for sure. Yeah. Um, now, speaking of characters that I really love, let's talk about oh. Ted Lasso. Ted is – and a lot of – like I read this essay that somebody was just like, Ted is an entitled white guy who failed up. But God, I needed to watch him be earnest this year. <laughs> you know, like I, – I, I would argue he's – Ted Lasso, played by Jason Sudeikis, is possibly the best new character introduced on TV this year. Oh. Maybe Coach Beard. I do love Coach Beard. Um, look, and I gotta say, um, Hannah Waddington is an absolute 
babe in the show. Who, I, <laughs> I don't I, know who that is. Who is Hannah Waddington? She's the owner of the team. Oh, okay, okay. And I had to, and she plays the shame nun on Game of Thrones, and she's in all a ton of stuff. But like, I had to look at my wife. <laughs> the we shame back. nun. Her character is called the shame nun. Yeah, um, you haven't seen Game of Thrones. There's a scene. There's a scene where like a person of royalty is stripped naked and made to walk through the entire city while the people throw things at her. Sure. And uh, the shame nun walks behind her the whole way with like a lantern and just goes like shame. With that was step. her. Shame. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, she played a big role in the season, but interesting. Yeah. So now she's playing the the owner of this. Uh... Yeah. Um, Have you seen? Yeah. So you've seen this, right? Yes. Yeah. I yeah, and I loved it. Biscuits too. Who ends up being like best friends with the Juno Temple character, who is all, like a really infectious character. Well, that's uh, the thing. Every character in the show is ha- has redeeming qualities. Like even even the characters that you kind of really want to not like they have these yeah, moments jamie. of like yeah jamie jamie for the probably is the, the least likable character but at the same time, he scores a goal and everybody's chanting his name and he's pointing his thumbs at his jersey going me yeah me <laughs> i i mean i found myself i want the next season but only because i just want more time with these characters like I, i'm not i don't care who wins the next Dude, set of games. I don't give a shit if we just go to the grocery store, Ted. Yeah. Or I, if we just like spend 30 minutes watching like Juno and the uh, Wadding, Rebecca try and figure out, you know, how to get the whatever to work. Yeah, you know, it, like I just, I will watch any of these characters. It's a hangout show. It's, it's a really great hangout show. And there, there's a scene, the, the, the scene, and I, I enjoyed it all the way through. The scene that really got me, though, and I'm I'm going to, again, minor spoiler. I'm going to try and keep details out of it. There's a scene where a character has done something that has has had negative consequences on another character. And the, and the other character confronts this person. And you think it's going to be the big blow up where the person storms out and the other person has to make it right. But instead, the character says, hey, you know, I forgive you. Divorce does messed up things to people. We're, we're past it. And that was the end of it. And I thought, like, that was so refreshing that there was no conflict. Like, a sh- like TV shows are supposed to have more conflict. And in this one moment, the TV show opted to dial back the conflict in the name of the character doing something that was, like, more redemptive and human. And I thought, God bless this show. That was That's the point where I was like, I will watch every episode of the show forever, you know? I love it when they're asking, he's like, it feels like somebody died in here. Because they're about to play against a team they've never won against. Yeah. And Roy Kent, his response was a palindrome of 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 English curses. That was so funny. It, it was, it was so, that was as good as the uh, you asked that question in the form of a lie, man. Like that was top five lines of the year. Yeah, the writing on the show, and, and we should say it was written by Bill Lawrence, who uh, was the creator Scrubs. of the show Scrubs. Yeah, and, and uh, it's from a. It's from a commercial that Jason Sudeikis was in for he. Um, so I, NBC or CBS bought the I think it was NBC bought the broadcast rights for Premier League soccer, which airs um, on like on Sunday mornings in America. And so they were trying to do like Premier League breakfast and would make that a thing. And so and it is like I know a lot of people who like wake up early in the morning and watch Premier League on the weekend. But like they had, they made this Ted Lasso character who was a coach, an American football coach who got hired by uh, English football team, Tottenham, the Tottenham Spurs, which is a real team, you know. And he was like <laughs> doing a lot of the early bits, just the funny, really stupid, 
this doesn't translate, you know, interesting, uh, jokes. And then they, and then they made it into a, a show. And then there was the, uh, there was a speech that he gave in one of the episodes about practice. Yeah. Uh, which is a word for word speech that, uh, responds to a question that Alan Iverson gave. Um, it's like a notorious Allen Iverson press conference. He got fined for missing practice. And Allen Iverson's like one of the highest scoring players. He's a very controversial figure, though. And there's this iconic video of them counting how many times he says practice in this press conference. And he stutters it one time. So at the end, it's like 27 and a half. But he's like, we're not talking about the game that you go out there and bleed and live your life for. We're talking about practice. We're not talking about a game. We're talking about pra- we're talking. About, we're not talking about a game. We're talking about practice. Yeah. And Ted Lasso does the whole speech in an episode. Really? And I like paused it, and I showed uh, April and her mom because I watched it again with them. The speech, and they were like, "Why are you showing us this?" And I was like, <laughs> "Watch this. Speech. It's hilarious. Don't worry that you're upset about me pausing the TV. Just enjoy the speech." And they did, and they laughed, and then I played it, and they were just losing their mind. Yeah. It- uh, um, it's such a good show. It is. It's it's fully entertaining, and again, it's heartwarming. And like, it, I think this was a year when I think a lot of us just needed something. I mean, this is nothing new. I'm saying here. I think a lot of us just needed something heartwarming, and this I, I think this provided exactly that. I would have I would have watched ten more episodes if they had been available. Um, and you can watch that on Apple TV Plus. Now, another show that was on Apple TV Plus that I'm actually not done with, but I'm currently I'm midway through is uh, Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet. Have you seen this? The last episode I saw was when the guy who plays Dar from Homeland gave a speech. The alcoholic writer guy gave like a speech about like what perspective and story or whatever. And Mm -hmm. it was really funny. I just haven't like had need to go back to, you know, watch episode three or whatever. Yeah, that's it's very fun. I love, 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 love. What's his face from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Rob McElhaney. Yeah, Yeah, Rob McElhaney. Well, and that that's sort of and and you got me into It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And when I saw that he had a new show this year, I thought like, well, I'm going to I'm going to check this out. I mean, I'm hungry for new material. And so I uh, so I went and and again, I'm I'm only about halfway through it. But it is it's it's about video game developers who run a game called Mythic Quest and uh, like the new edition of the, of the game is called Raven's Banquet. And I think it's supposed to be like loosely based on like Fortnite or something. I don't really know. World, World of Warcraft slash Fortnite. Okay, cool. Um, and, and, and again, it, it is because Rob McElhaney is super funny. It, it, the, the, a lot of the bits are, are really funny. And um, there's a, there, there are a lot of characters. It, I, I get the feeling that if I was more into gaming, there, there would be a lot more here that I would, understand but yeah. but it still is is it's worth watching and i really the only reason i i added it to the list is as i was looking through the shows that i watched this year um there were a lot of shows that i've seen more seasons of that were, i probably enjoyed more but this is one this is a new show and i wanted mm-hmm. to kind of highlight it and i'm i'm it, i'm really it's like i'm still in the middle of it i'm still enjoying it and so i thought like well it's fresh and so i decided just to sort of include it in the list which is also true about the next show on the list which is the good lord bird well, I haven't seen The Good Lord Bird, so take us away on that. Yeah, The Good Lord Bird. This is a show. It is uh, produced and starring uh, Ethan Hawke, and it is about the uh, the abolitionist revolutionary um, John Brown, who was was a – I mean, basically, he was, he was kind of a terrorist. <laughs> I mean, really. And uh, played play by Ethan Hawke. And the thing about this, it's it's based on a novel. And the novel uh, it was, was written by uh, a, a black author. And I think that's important because it would be really easy to write a John Brown story and make it a white savior story. 
And it's it's important to to note that this could be that, and it ends up kind of not being that. And I think they, they, I think Ethan Hawke, as one of the producers, and the the author of the book was also one of the producers on the show. Um, I think I think they went way out of their way to make sure that it didn't come across as a white savior story. Um, and because the thing about John Brown, in addition to being a really important figure in the pre Civil War abolitionist movement. Uh, was kind of a lunatic. He was kind of a religious zealot, and Ethan Hawke plays him like a lunatic. And this show is—it's really, really good. And it is—it's—it's um, it's weirdly funny. David Diggs plays uh, Frederick Douglass, and uh, is—it's it, it, just—I mean, it's hard to talk about without really like spoiling much. But that. again, it's—it's right. it, it's based on true life but it's also based on a novel which isn't based on true life um there's a point of view character the the point of view character is really funny it's a a character who is uh, often referred to as little onion and the thing is ethan hawk as john brown sees like the first time he sees uh onion believes onion to be a girl but onion is really a boy but he because onion has has been raised in enslavement um, he has been taught to whatever a white man says, you just have to go along with it. And so even though Ethan, even though John Brown has freed this person, he doesn't feel enough agency to tell him, I'm actually not a girl. And so he has to go through the entire story as a girl, like dr- like wearing dresses, simply because he doesn't have he, he doesn't feel empowered to tell this white man who, who freed him. He doesn't feel empowered to tell this white man, I'm not a girl. <laughs> And so, like that's it's Dude, so there's that's, this wow. weird. Uh, so even so, it, it does a really good job of showing, like even in situations where you have somebody who is like enlightened and like or like so called enlightened or whatever, and is on the right side of history, you still there's still a certain amount of discomfort and code switching that has to be done, and like the, the white supremacy <laughs> even exists in spaces like that. You know, it reminds me of. Um the uh before you find out he's not a good guy and get out like i would have i would have voted for a third term yeah yeah <laughs> like oh, why did you say that to me <laughs> yeah there's a lot of that for sure um anyway so uh the good lord bird is it, it's 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 definitely one of the most impressive things i've seen this year on tv it's so um i i've not finished that either but it, it's really really good now uh one of the most critically acclaimed things that happened on tv that i did not watch uh was the last dance so well, you said you watched an episode or two. I watched uh, the first three episodes. I didn't, which I it. think is impressive for a sports uh, documentary that to get you to watch three episodes of. Well, and I mean, part of it is like this is this was my adolescence. Like I, I was, I, I you know, I, I was in middle school during uh, the Michael Jordan time. So, you know, like that was, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was, I was nostalgic for for the hype. You know, I want to watch like a cut of the, like it would be forever long, but like the OJ. And this, like a, a time, a cut, for, a cut for chronology yeah. of that OJ documentary, ESPN documentary, and this, because <laughs> it was just such a vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and the, uh, I've heard the, these two get compared a lot to each other because they were so, they were long form documentaries that were just so compelling. In, in in a such a time, and this one's not compelling, like for all the opposite reasons, you know. Yeah, it's not true. Um, crime, obviously. Like, and then just Dennis Rodman is worth the price of admission. Uh, and the gifts that came out of that, because he's just talking about, he'll be like, yeah, and I see somebody go, and he'll just move his hands, you know, and then I'm like, and I'll see somebody go, you know, and it doesn't make any sense. But when you watch Dennis Rodman rebound, it's kind of the same way, you know, he's just like, wait a second, everyone on this 
court right now has about three rebounds, and he's got like 17. <laughs> and we've all been playing for like 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and he's and it's just uh, the stuff. Michael Jordan uh, did not let a lot of stuff he didn't want out in this thing out because he controlled the access. And there's a lot of, to critique about that. But the um, amount of access in this story is unprecedented so far. And the honestly, like it reminds so Curtis Wilkie, I talked about earlier, the writer that I got to write a profile of. He wrote a book about Dickie Scruggs, the guy who got in trouble for embezzling, like the tobacco attorney from Mississippi who got in trouble for embezzling a lot of Katrina money. But he was embezzling like while helping a lot of people, and he was involved with like John Kerry and all these people. And he, it's just like this character who's like sympathetic in a way, but is also not because they're so like detached from reality and and an asshole. But also you root for him because they're sort of a hero too. <laughs> mm. And and it's like yeah, I don't know. Just and and just listening to Scottie Pippen, I don't he he didn't open up a lot, and he's somebody I'm really interested in. Um, the Scottie Pippen like the, episode is really interesting. I thought, yeah, well, like Scottie Pippen is the world's greatest facilitator of all time. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's uncontested. <laughs> Scottie Pippen is the Wayne Gretzky of facilitating. You know, he's like the Michael Jordan of facilitating. Well, and that if he had been on any other team at any other time in history, he would have been the biggest star ever. You know, yeah. and he, he just happened to be the second best player on a team with Michael Jordan. He could have also just happened to be a footnote because of like where he was. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's such like an old Arkansas guy. And I just love like my, you know, all my uncles are old Arkansas guys. Mm. And so I can just like like that episode was just like I've sat in that living room and listened to that man talk before. Yeah. And it was real special. Um, but Yeah. It was it was just compelling and uh, it was it was a real feat of access I thought. Um, People loved this. Yeah, well, I mean, like, like Kim Jong Un uh, is a Michael Jordan fan. <laughs> like, who's the most detached person from reality in the world? Donald Trump. <laughs> that person is also yeah, Donald Trump. And he's <laughs> Kim Jong Un, and and like that person is a is a michael jordan fan you know what i mean like yeah. you like if i what we were gonna like record one night and and uh you were very gracious because i was like i can't I, I can but like my favorite team just got to this continental cup and i would love to watch it and you were like yeah you can watch it man but like i could tell you were pissed because you were like sports. i wasn't pissed i don't care yeah, <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know your your voice very much said like sports <laughs> Yeah, but at you the same know, time, I just... love canceled plans. You don't understand how I how my heart swells anytime plans get canceled. I know it does, but also sometimes <laughs> you're like. Anyway, like the fact that you watched it and like I watched it and Kim Jong Un watched it and everyone watched. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, Barack it's... Obama shows up in it as quote former Chicago <laughs> resident Barack Obama. That <laughs> that 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 is how they describe him. Well, I mean, that is what he was to the story. Sure. That's just so funny. Like, first of all, do people think we don't know who Barack Obama is? And second of all, the, 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 the signifying descriptor of him is former Chicago resident. Yeah, like that he could be connected through any sort of way, but like this is – Yeah. This is it. I mean, all you got to say is Barack Obama has some thoughts. Like you don't have to point out like, by the way, he, he wants he, – he did once live in Chicago. I mean it's fine. It's just yeah. – it, that, that made me laugh out loud the first time he shows up. And uh, under it is this former Chicago resident as if anybody's going to be watching this being like, who is this guy? You know what I mean? 
Yeah. So I live in Tupelo and I work in Oxford and there's a, a road that goes from Tupelo to Oxford called Highway 6. And it goes through the two counties that uh, Tupelo and Oxford are in and one city called Pontotoc. And there's nothing else at all. Unincorporated land. It's 45 miles, right? Um, and they have put in U-turn signs just inside of Tupelo and just, I mean, just inside of Oxford and just inside of Pontotoc now on this road that say U-turn Oxford <laughs> or U-turn Pontotoc Tupelo. And that's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Barack Obama, Chicago citizen. Yeah. yeah. I'm or or uh, the other day, Alexa, the little news screen on my Alexa video, it said, uh, scientists believe thumbs evolve to hold tools. <laughs> and it was just like, is that a, is that a news story or is that a, are we just putting random Wikipedia pages up? Are we just saying or? things that we all yeah. already kind of have an understanding of? Yeah. <laughs> it's the onion, like <laughs> local man says sky is blue. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yes. Um, uh, last dance. It's obvious. So then the next thing on our list is Mrs. America. Did you watch this? No, I haven't seen uh, any recent episodes of Better Call Saul or Miss America. So okay. you're. So Mrs. America was a miniseries that probably 20 years ago would have just been a movie like that. That sort of has been one of the one of the things about a lot of the miniseries that I've been watching lately is which is the realization of like, oh, the stories that I would have been really excited to see in movie form and that I would have gone to see in movie theaters when I was in my 20s. Now I watch in like seven to ten part miniseries on Hulu and. And yeah, the stories fine. that you used to say, oh, I wish that was a little bit longer. Now you say that could have been shorter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see. I see what we're doing now. Yeah. That, and I, fe- I felt like there, there are several stories, several. I, I could we could sit here and list out all the different miniseries that I think, man, that would have been a great movie in yeah. 2005. And like the song um, Dollhouse where you're just like, OK, I get it. We're how many episodes in? Now? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I felt like that. Well, anyway, that's a whole. But yeah, but Mrs. America was one of those. And I mean, it has like bona fide movie stars. Like it starts Kate Blanchett as Phyllis Schlafly and um, Rose Byrne as Gloria Steinem. And this is uh, th- this is a movie. Or sorry, th- this is a, a mini series about the attempts to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. And the two main characters are, like I said, Phyllis Schlafly and Gloria Steinem. And each episode kind of focuses on one key figure in this movement. And it really shows like Phyllis Schlafly is one of the like one of the true villains in American history. Um, and in fact, the last thing that she did before she died was endorse Donald Trump. Like she she yeah. she got everything wrong all through history. And she opposed the Equal Rights Amendment at every turn. She she became famous for opposing the Equal Rights Amendment, even though she was living up to like everything she was doing. She uh, anyway, it was like like profiles in hypocrisy and um anyway so but i there, there's a lot about the story that i did not know like I, I didn't know um much about like the the feminist movement surrounding gloria steinem i did i didn't know what opposing the equal rights amendment meant for the people who opposed it i didn't i didn't know about a lot of like the 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 compromises people had to make with like the religious right and like White supremacist groups, which again, like there's a lot here that rhymes with with history, and so um, I I found this like I I love history, I love stories that um, should be made into movies and and uh, or miniseries, and then for whatever reason, it takes a long time for them to get there. If I had known this story before I saw this, I would have said somebody needs to make this into something because this is this is a story worth telling. And I don't know how you humanize a person like Phyllis Schlafly, but Kate Blanchett did it, and it's. Um, 
it's it, and not not in a way that is apologetic towards her. In fact, I, I like I watched every episode and I still think Phyllis Schlafly is kind of a monster. Um, but at the same time, like I, there there were points along the way where I was at least a little bit sympathetic towards people who followed her. I guess I should say, not at, not a lot of them, but some of them. Anyway, I I found I found the film. I keep referring to it as a film. I I found the story just so thoroughly compelling. And um, if, if you didn't see it, I highly recommend watching it. So there was that, Mrs. America, and then also Better Call Saul. And I just put that on, this on here because Better Call Saul is the best show on TV. And I would feel like I had been neglectful not mentioning it. This was I, I I'm gonna go I'm gonna go out on a limb here, JB. I'm gonna say Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad. Um, I, so I totally dropped off on it and I, I don't know why April and I were enjoying it more than anything else we were watching. And then all of a sudden we just quit watching it. And, and I, I've been meaning to go back and watch it all year and I just haven't for some reason. And I need to, it is, it's so good. And this season was so, it, it was probably the, the, and that's the thing about this being a prequel. It's like, you kind of know where it's going at, to a certain yeah. extent and you know, at, at the very least, you know where two of these characters are going to end up. But yeah. at the same time, there's a lot going on in the world around them, and you're you're sort of seeing how th- this world is shaping them and how they're kind of influencing that. And there are there there's a character that was introduced towards the end of the second or the the previous season, and the character's name is Lalo. And I I will not say anything beyond this 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 season. Lalo is the star of this season, and when you watch it, this guy every scene he's in, he steals it. He is electric. Like a a show about this character would be worth watching. So, um, yeah, I, I I put I put better Better Call Saul on here only to say it's the best show on TV. It's better than than its predecessor, which is is high praise because I loved Breaking Bad. Um, yeah. but it is it's great, and I could not endorse it more fully than I do. So, hey, can I slip one in at the end? I totally forgot about. Yeah, it go ahead. Now. What you got, uh, dude? The Mandalorian. It's not over yet. I was going to gonna ask, stop, how in the world are like, you not talking about the Mandalorian? My favorite character from Star Wars, maybe of any Star Wars character who's only been in the books and cartoons so far, is real now. And I'm just like, what? And then they, and then I find out that like my favorite villain who's never been in any of them are probably going to be in an episode. You know, I'm just like, what? And they're doing spinoffs now. And it's just like, I don't even care if any of this is good. I don't. Like, it would be an embarrassment of riches if one day, like with DC television shows, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just not, I just don't have enough time to watch all these Green Arrow television shows. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like. (laughs) Yeah. I don't care if we approach peak Star Wars. Bring it on. (laughs) You're talking to a guy who's rewatched the old problematic Christmas special. (laughs) Bring it on. (laughs) I I have a friend who is fully willing to make the argument, he is fully arguing that the Mandalorian is the best Star Wars. I don't think it's the best Star Wars, but like it's a it's an absolute feat of form. I think so too. I I, yeah. I, I think this shows you what what Star Wars is capable of, and it doesn't. It have reminds to just be me rehashes. of the first time I read Beth Ann Finley, the poet. Yeah. Um. Uh. Who is 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 absolutely transcendent? She's this book called um, Open House. And I finished it, and my friend goes, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know what I think. And I don't know what that was, but whatever it it, it was, it is the best of that that I have ever, whatever I did. 
Like, it's just, uh, yeah. Yeah, man. It's good. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because, like, I when you sent your list, I was like, how in the world is JB not talking about The Mandalorian? And the fact so. that there's an episode of Deadwood in this season is so great. Yeah, yeah it is. Or ju- multiple- it's, it's, it's an episode of Justified. Surprising their exact same roles. Yeah. Um, look, look, the bartender. <laughs> look, I mean, look, if Timothy Oliphant wants to show mm-hmm. up in every show I watch as basically a different version of Raylan, if he wants to be Space Raylan Givens... I'm all here for it. If if you want, I he, he was in, he was in the good place as Raylan Givens, and I was yeah. I was there for that too. I am to Timothy Oliphant and to um I just forgot his name, uh, Waylon Goggins. I am to Walton them Goggins. What Walton Goggins? Sorry, I am. They are to me what Adam Driver is to John Oliver. <laughs> uh, I love them. Yeah, like same. I just I think that they are. The most charming, handsome, wonderful men, and I love it when they play villains, and I love it when they play dummies, and I love it when they play <laughs> divorced dads on sitcoms that are terrible. Did you Did you watch this season of Fargo? Oh no, but I'm going to. He's on it. Timothy Oliphant is is on it as as a U.S. Marshal. Perfect. Who wears Who wears a wide brim cowboy hat? I'm telling Perfect. you, he's going to just show Timothy up everywhere Oliphant. as some version of Raylan Givens, and I'm not going to care um, if he shows up in Better Call Saul as Raylan Givens. If he, I mean, look look at this list of shows that we just watched. There's not a single show on this this list that wouldn't be better if Raylan Givens showed up. Ted Lasso, Superstore, uh, would be Lovecraft Lasso, Country. If, so if Raylan Givens it. shows up in Lovecraft Country, I'm like, what if great. Raylan Givens was the was the security guard at Superstore? If Raylan Given shows up in The Last Dance, if there's an episode of The Last Dance where he just for some reason is at a Bulls game, I'm like, that makes sense to me. I'm, I'm I want to see an there. episode of Justified where Raylan Givens and Patton Oswalt switch characters. <laughs> That'd be funny. I think that would be some of the best acting in the world. Uh, I think they would both. I think if I pitched that to them, somehow I could pitch that to them. They would both be like, yeah, let's do it right now. <laughs> All right. So let's talk music. Uh, and we're going to start with. Fetch the Bolt Cutters by Fiona Apple. This was Pitchfork Magazine's album of the year that they just named and, a couple of weeks ago. And like, like did yeah. you think it would be the second you listened to it? I mean, I thought it would be before I even listened to it because the hype on this album was strong. Like the yeah. the minute this album dropped, the entire internet was like, "This is the album we wanted this year." You know, the minute that I heard that Fiona Apple was releasing an album called Fetch the Bolt Cutters, I was like. We're going to talk about this. No, I texted to you. Did you hear the name of Fiona Apple's new record? And you said, we're going to talk about this record before the year's over. And we had not listened to it yet. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, and I, I, I picked it up on vinyl and I've, I've, I've probably, this, this probably is the, uh, other than the, the two albums that we're not talking about in this episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> th- this is the album I've listened to the most this year. This, this album has gotten the most amount of exercise on my, on my turntable this year. It's a great. I so confession. I just got to it because I spent the first half of this year just like, just like deeply depressed. Yeah. Not the first half. I spent the first three months of this year at a new job at like my favorite place on earth. Um, but <laughs> then, then March. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, honestly, then February and then March. Uh, but like, I finally got. To, I finally started cleaning out my music list, you know, and I finally got to it, and then like, I can't get it out of my head. It. Uh, I mean, first of all, I'm with you. Like, I th- I have a long list of albums that I never listened to this year that I really wanted to, but they were by artists that I just don't know that well. And quite frankly, I was mostly just looking for familiarity. And Fiona Apple's an artist that I've I Fiona Apple has released. This is her fifth album, 
every album of hers I've loved. I've seen her live. I've I've been a fan of hers since Title came out, her very first album. And so when when I heard that she was going to put out a new album, I thought, first of all, thank you. And, and second of all, there's no way I'm not going to love this album. I've loved every Fiona Apple album, and this album is no exception. So I, one of the reasons I spent th- as much time with this album as I did is because Fiona Apple, for me, is comfort food, even even though a lot of her music is really challenging. And this album, this is probably her most challenging album. Um, it's It's got some – when I say challenging, I mean it, it has ideas, and it is it is – putting putting thoughts and concepts into the world that need to be discussed but it's just like damn <laughs> you know what i mean like she's swinging for the fences here yeah you know um yeah dude i've had shimika i've had two songs stuck in my head since i kind of got better <laughs> yeah and that is shimika by fiona apple and this is the day the lord has made by the lord by the lord yeah <laughs> That felt like a Pete, Pete Holmes joke. Sorry, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, Shamika's nice a good song. Uh, the one, that, the run that really stuck with me was uh, "Under the Table." The oh, under the table I won't shut year. up, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like "Under the Table" has also been like on heavy rotation for me. This wreck, like in my head, just you yeah. know, when I'm walking around <laughs> the grocery store with my sun, my prescription sunglasses, and my. Uh, mask and my hood and my hat like a NPC from uh, like a Unabomber. <laughs> yeah, I, I tweeted a picture of myself the other day. And I was like, "This is me inside, outside, day, night. I'm just a non-playable character from Watch Dogs 2 now." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day. Like the we, we dress everywhere now the way that a year ago they would have assumed you're going to rob a bank. And now oh, yeah, we all just sure. wear like dress like and that. And the idea that like people walk around without glasses on blows my mind. It's like y'all are just <laughs> walking around in the world with your bare eyes right your, now. <laughs> your eye holes are vulnerable. Yeah. yeah I, I'm wearing sunglasses everywhere I go. Um because I've I'm cursed with good vision, JB. Anyway, so um, <laughs> I've worn contacts exactly once this year, and I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Fish the Bolt Cutters is strong. It's a great album. I'm not at all surprised that Pitchfork named it album of the year. Um, it, it, it is again. It's one of those albums that the minute it came out, I thought like oh, everybody's gonna. Every, this is this is an album that everybody is going to um, very deservedly be super excited about. And and it is. It's 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 good. It's worth listening to. And it's it, it will stand the test of time. I, I think the next time Rolling Stone puts out a list of greatest albums of all time, I think I would be really surprised if Fish the Bolt Cutters isn't on it. You know, they tend to put those out lists out every seven to ten years. So in seven to yep. ten years, I think we'll be talking about this album in the way that we talk about things like um, Lemonade or To Pimp a Butterfly. You know, like like certain albums that they come out and they just like, they leave such a deep imprint on the world around them that it's difficult to ignore. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's Fetch the Bolt Cutters. The next one this uh, was on your list is Long Violent History by Tyler Childers. Yeah, so uh, this is a instrumental bluegrass record. Um, instrumental, interesting. Yeah, uh, well, there's some lyrics. There's lyrics to "Long Violent History," the, the last song. Um, but it's a you know it's a heavily featured like fiddle featured record. And uh, so Tyler Childers is a bluegrass guy. He's been doing it for a while, um, and. He released the record with a video, and I, I emailed you a link so we can put it in the show notes. Um, uh, and the in the video is just about like it, it's called a message from Tyler, and it's just talking about 
he's just like, I'm not going to be quiet. Like, if you want to talk about our heritage or our history, then, like, get a still, grow a crop, learn to pluck a fiddle. You know, that's our heritage. Mm. Um, but this stuff we're fighting over is not. And basically, it's like, look, dude, I'm a white, redneck, conservative piece of shit from the hills just like everybody else i'm telling you please stop it oh wow um and that's sort of the message of his i mean yeah you know it starts off with sending the clowns you know goes into zolly's retreat and squirrel hunter and just these like bluegrass songs, but they feel like they're saying something. And then Long Violent History is the song at the end, and he does say something, and it comes with that message. And and, and I'd love it if we link to it. Um, yeah. He's just saying, like, look, man, people call us, you know, belligerent, and we've been looked down upon, too. Like, this, we are a part of this fight. Let's be a part of this fight. Mm. Like, we're we're voting against ourselves. <laughs> Wow. And we're voting against our brothers. <laughs> wow, man. Well, I hope people uh, are listening. Yeah. And and that's just um yeah, that that's a big message going out right now from I you know, my people who I've always tried to not be aligned with, but like <laughs> I wear boots, I got a tattoo of a cattle brand on my ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I don't know. There's just this idea I think about all the time. Like I'm a first generation, like to, you know, or second generation, like society, you know, like I'm not an immigrant, but I am an immigrant to like the modern world. And, and so like, I I should relate with these people that, that, you know, people like me are are trying to oppress. Um, And oftentimes not even trying to oppress, just oppressing by their absolute lack of empathy. Mm. Uh, it doesn't. It really doesn't take that much for us to make a difference. All of us who have so much privilege, and that's what he's saying, you know. Yeah. Like literally, you would make a difference if you quit being an asshole, and it's easy to quit being an asshole if you just like play fiddle a little more. Yeah. Or like, yeah, just like. <laughs> it's a great record and a great message. Nice. Well, the next album on our list is Gigaton by Pearl Jam. This was mine. Um. The, I mean, look, I listen to a it's lot a of Pearl Jam. Jam. It is a great record. I was shocked finally, at how much this year I, I got this into Pearl Jam thanks to you, and it's great. Did you listen to that song I sent you? No, I didn't have time. Like, oh, I, okay, it's um, it's uh, it, it kind of it's got some Pearl Jam vibes. Just I don't know. I always like didn't like Eddie Vedder because I, I think because um, Weird Al makes fun of him a lot, and so I thought like I don't like him, but I realized like Weird Al just probably you know thinks he's great and he's a fun person to make fun of. Yeah. <laughs> And and I'm into Eddie Vedder, you know, dude. Yeah, and yeah, I, he's I, like he's he's Matt Berninger's, you know, Matt Berninger's trying to be Eddie Vedder. Yeah, that's actually probably right. I, uh, <laughs> that, I mean, look, uh, Pearl Jam put puts this album out. And the first the first single that comes out is "Dance of the Clairvoyance," which is not a Pearl Jam sounding song at all. It sounds like Talking Heads. And so you listen to it, and you're like, yeah, dude, it does. you're like, what the hell happened to Pearl Jam? And then you listen to the rest of the album, and you're like, oh, this is this is kind of genius. And Dance Clairvoyance 
is this interesting kind of entry in the middle of it. Like, and you, and you sort of tell, like, they're swinging for the fences in a lot of new, interesting ways while not totally abandoning the idea that they're still pretty much just Pearl Jam. And, um, and like Dude, I said, like, I... Know, Dance with the Clairvoyance doesn't sound like Talking Heads. It sounds like Depeche Mode. I mean, you seriously, you, you're gonna, I mean, yeah, it's, I think it sounds like both, but I mean, I, there, there is, I mean, yeah, both, but there, I'm just there is some hardcore David Byrne in that song. But if you had to pick one, there is some serious Depeche Mode in there too. Those drums. Well, either way, it might sound like Depeche Mode. It might sound like Talking Heads, but it does not sound like Pearl Jam. It does not sound like Pearl Jam. And, and that they are able to do that, but also the rest of the album is still consistent enough to where you, you can sort of like, and also it, it helps that Dance to the Clairvoyance is a good song. Like it, it'd be one thing if it just sucked, but it's, it is a yeah. good song <laughs> and you sort of have to get, get over the fact that it's Pearl Jam doing this, like a, a different kind of thing. And what's it, the, what's the song that has the rap on it from, um, Wrecking Ball? Oh, uh, Rocky Ground. Yeah. It's like Rocky Ground. It's yeah. A like, little bit. This little could bit. have been. This could have been bad. Yeah, you uh, you you took you took a big swing, and I mean, thank God it worked. Thank God we got a hit. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, and again, it's one of those things. Like this, this album was like I I was not looking for new artists this year. I, I was genuinely just looking for comfort food from artists that I loved already. So Fiona Apple and Pearl Jam both put out new records, which are things that did not happen that don't happen a whole lot. So like I I grabbed a hold of this album and I listened to it a bunch and. Um, I found it to be really rewarding. I thought I thought it was better than, and I I've I've liked. There's not a Pearl Jam album that I just don't like at all, um, but I've I've liked it better than I, th- I think I liked it. I definitely liked it better than Lightning Bolt. I liked it better than the self the Avocado album, and I'm pretty sure I like it better than Binaural also. So like it's it like they just dropped this, and I'm like this is good. Like I'm I'm really I'm 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 vibing with this really well. So anyway, uh, I if if you like Pearl Jam, if you if you just want to revisit some some of that comfort food. Do, go to Gigaton, man. It's it's worth it. Yeah. So the next thing I'm on... only up to Vitology in my listen through and like in my deep listen through, and this is as good. Gigaton's as good as any other records I've heard. Like done a deep listen through on. So it's I, I I'm gonna go at, at, and th- again. I listened to a lot of Pearl Jam this year, and I I think I've I've come to the point where I'm about ready to say that Yield is their best album. But I go I kind of toggle around between Yield, Vitology, and Verses. Uh, but Gigaton is good. It, it is a worthwhile entry in their body of work. I gotta say, sure. we we gotta make if we make ten Redux the the canon version, then we're just doing a whole new. We're working with a whole new playbook. Yeah, um, and that that's hard for those of us who like ten ten is like in my bones. Like you know what I mean? Like the right, I know what you mean. 10. I yeah. just was a guy who like first time I heard ten, I wasn't like nah. And then you were like, your favorite producer did most of their records and. Yeah. He's also redone the ten, and I was like, "Oh, for real?" Yeah. Well, yeah, and yeah. If you discovered Pearl Jam later, then the Brennan yeah. O'Brien cut of ten is right. But if you if you discovered Pearl Jam after you discovered Brennan O'Brien, yeah, that's right. That's absolutely well. It's, it's I mean, I it, I mean, this is a bit of a deviation, but it's, it's not unlike how I feel about Ryan Johnson and Star Wars. I like Ryan Johnson more than I like Star Wars. So, The Last Jedi is my favorite Star Wars movie. I yeah. realize there's lots of Star Wars fans that would like. <laughs> like push me down a flight of stairs for saying that. But, um, but I realize like some people feel about 10 and Brennan O'Brien, the way I feel about Ryan Johnson and star Wars. If that yeah, makes any sense. for sure. I got to say, I was convinced this week by a friend who tweeted it and I was like, yeah, he's right. Uh, rug one, best star Wars movie. Oh, that's controversial for sure. But I, I but like rug one too. Um, it's a 
very good movie. It is a good movie. All right, well, let's talk about Punisher by Phoebe Bridgers. You have oh. been an evangelist for Phoebe Bridgers for a while, and this is I, I think this is her best album. Agree? I mean, I don't know because uh, Stranger in the Alps like just hurts me. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? Phoebe Bridgers hurts me is what she does, but mm-hmm. it's, it hurts me in a way that like I need to be hurt sometimes. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I remember listening to it one time and just tweeting out like, oh man, Phoebe Bridgers made a rock record. Like she swung for it. She got big on this one. Yeah, she did. They're just, and she's still so like, she's still just as small as, you know, someone who can, can do duets with Julian Baker, you know, she doesn't betray her sound. Right, yeah, but yeah. She, but like that punk rock, you know, girl in her, that rage in her that you've always kind of seen, you know, is fully there, and she she lets it out. And she wrote, I forget which song she wrote, it might have been Savior Complex. One of the like Marshall, the drummer for her band, is her ex boyfriend, and he, he had a whole big gear too, uh, according to social media. And you know, I'm happy for him too. Uh, but like. They wrote a, a breakup song. They bro- they were dating, and they wrote a breakup song together about each other. And I think it's Savior Complex, but I could be wrong. Anyway, she did a great interview with Sam Sanders um, on the podcast. It's been a minute uh, this week, but uh, sorry, oh, I'll, I've I'll hogged all it. of the uh, Punisher. Like, tell me what you feel about it. I mean, I I'm st- I'm still sort of absorbing it. Like, I I like sonically, I really appreciate this. Like, I it, it is. It's it's one of those it's it's really contemplative it's really reflective it's one of those things I put it on I it came in the mail I it's it came as a Magnolia Record Club installment so I, I it was just sent to me like I didn't even ask yeah. for it it just came to me and um it, it's one of those God, I'll put what it a on gift. that's why you sign up for a box set you know yeah. like a, a what a gift it was great this was a good year to be a member of Magnolia Record Club they also you sent me Jason like maybe I'll listen to the Phoebe Bridgers record they sent you. One of the most beautiful records anyone's ever made. Yeah, and it, it is, and it is. It, it it is one of those albums like you put it on and you're like, wow. I feel like it, it's it's meditative. It 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 sort of carries you a little bit. Um, to hey, speaking of uh, things that I bring up every year, that reminds me of like the time I got that Ben Gibbard covering. Um, For those of you who had Ben Gibbard on your JV bingo card, go ahead and. Check ben Gibbard covering Bandwagon esque in its entirety yeah. in vinyl, and it's just like, oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> it's a gift from the gods. Yeah, it's like, what? What? How did this become a thing? Thank yeah. you so much. Oh my god. Um. Uh, oh, speaking of music and Ben Gibbard this year, he did a he did a, a live from his house every day for a long time at like dinner time, and my family watched him do covers and old songs and yeah we watched a couple from here too they were good yeah and that i mean if we're talking about best music this year like thank god for that because that was when we were first trying to figure out how to work from home yeah the reason we watched it at the dinner table is because like that's where i was working so like i had my monitor set up there you know like yeah anyway but like punisher punisher's good um what about lamentation by american aquarium Oh shit! This is another Tyler Childers situation. These so these are some uh, cow punk fellows from um, from North Carolina, f- from outside of Raleigh, and um, this is just about like this, I mean the whole record is just lamentations like of of our people, like hey everybody please listen to me like stop. <laughs> 
just stop. Just be good to people. That's what we believe. That is what we built our communities on. That is, you know, like we are the poor folk up here who, you know, who should I be identifying with everyone who's been oppressed? Um, but instead we're, tr- we're being the oppressors, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't mean identify as much as like commiserate, have empathy for, you know what I mean? We haven't been, we haven't been enslaved. We've just, we're just poor people who have been lied to about our status. Who? Oh, Oh, you're a little bit better. So you can put them down. So anyway, PJ Barnum's a songwriter here and it's so good. He writes the saddest songs. He has written some of the saddest songs I've ever heard. And the album was called Lamentations. So yeah, we, we were expecting that. I mean, I would recommend any of their albums to anybody, but he just writes these songs from a perspective, a very Bruce Springsteen perspective. He's a big fan of Bruce Springsteen, of Jeff Tweedy, who we're going to talk about a little bit later. I mean, their name is American Aquarium. I am an American Aquarium drinker. That's a yeah, okay, lyric. Uh, but, you know, he's just a country dude who I think I've put him on this list before. You yeah, know? you have. Uh, I just love him. He, you know, he's a nice dude who's been through a lot. Uh, he recorded a bunch of ro- records in Oxford uh, when I was in college, and and was just an absolute asshole. And he got clean and married and had a girl, and just it writes the most beautiful music. And from from this perspective, like Bruce Springsteen, just like the working class, poor rural American, just trying to you know grapple with the world changing around him. Mm. And it's so good because he's so he's so in touch with like the generations before. He's such an old soul, but he's such a he's such a uh, like a modern man, too. So, Mm. you know, like he can connect the, you know, the sort of bridge. I don't know. He's an incredible songwriter. And to see him sort of age into this masterpiece that was released in 2020, you know, like Tyler Childers, it was almost like he heard a call and just said, like, I've got to do this. You know, I mean, it's this is a letter to you. Long Violent History, Lamentations, those are both two not quite as good as Letter to You, Letter to Use by two up-and-coming uh, songwriters. That's a, that's high praise. Yeah. What about what about Without People by Donovan Woods? This is I've never right. heard this. Donovan Woods. You would love Donovan Woods. Okay. Donovan give me, Woods has, Give me the two-minute Donovan pitch. Woods is like written songs for everybody florida georgia line like all if you listen to top 40 country you've heard so many donovan wood songs okay like he writes the songs that i'm so jealous of and hate the most in the world right but he also writes the saddest songs i've ever like he has a song on one a previous record called next year about how his son basically says dad i can't wait till next year and he says why and his son goes well next year we're gonna go fishing like next year we're gonna hang out and build that lego set and build a treehouse in the backyard and he goes what do you mean he goes well you always tell me you know maybe next year like he writes sad, sad songs. <laughs> yeah. And so this record is called Without People. There's a song called Lonely People. It's basically like every time you dance, every time you see a beautiful piece of art, every time you watch a movie, just remember it was made by lonely people. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, but he also has this song, track eight. It's inter- It's called Interlude. And he's in the studio and he's like, hey, he kind of hums and he's like, wait, what was that melody? And he tells the engineer, like, can you turn it up in the mix? And he plays this song. That is a absolute top 40 CMT song of the year. Bop. It's just like, keep on rocking. Kiss me like no one's watching. You know, bum, 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 bum. Like, but like a country bop. And, uh, and then he's like, 
uh, you know, never mind. <laughs> and they turn it down, and then it goes into another just sad, sad song. Basically, he's like, this song will not be made, and it's the best song that any of you assholes have ever heard. <laughs> it's such a flex, man. And it, and then, like, it's in the middle of the it's track I ain't on a 14-track record of a sad, sad, but his most poppy record for sure. Okay. That's a good pitch. Is, that is is probably my favorite of his and it is a real good songwriter record you would love it it's a very like in the vein of you know Isbol and and Sturgill and you know the folks we like it you know a little more songwritery yeah than but um I have to check that out this one's a little more poppy but oh my gosh I don't Interlude mind poppy. Is, I got a buddy who's like who is a song who is like a absolute songwriter producer like the guy you go to if you're trying to write a pop song and like put a rough together. And uh, I texted him and I was like, have you heard the new Donovan Woods record? And he was like, dude, interlude is the nastiest flex I've ever heard. <laughs> like, I just knew he had heard it already the second I heard it. Cause I was like, oh, this sounds like an owl song. So what about songs for our daughter by Laura Marling? Oh, man. all mine are in a row. Laura Marling is someone I just heard on NPR like a long time ago. I think Steven Thompson loves her probably. If I had to guess, because me and Steven have like a weirdly similar taste, but yeah. like I also really hate a lot of the music he likes. <laughs> uh, Laura Marling sings in a way, like a very disconcerting but familiar way. Like her voice is beautiful, but like her melodies are are just different. I don't understand it. I just love Laura Marling, and she puts a record out every so often, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I would say, like, every other one or something is just, like, <laughs> breathtaking. You know, it's just one of those moments where, like, you put it on, it, like, it just comes on. I have a playlist of all the records I want to listen to. And when I, when a Laura Marling one comes on, I, I sit back in my chair. I look up at the ceiling. And I just kind of, like, tap my finger. And then 45 minutes later, I'm like, oh, okay, that was... Oh wow, that was that was good. <laughs> you know, that's just yeah, it's a different thing. Uh, I think you're gonna bring up Margot Price later. It kind of reminds me of that they're totally different, but they just like, you know, they just write a record that you just weren't expecting, sort of. I do like that a lot. Or like Phoebe Bridgers a little bit. Her melodies are a little like hers aren't predictable by any means, but Laura Marley's melodies are just like really, really unpredictable. It, you know how this when you heard Letter to You, you heard Bruce do some melodies. You're like, I've never heard you do that. I was singing along, and I didn't, just because, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. She does that, but always. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, and then here's the one you sent me right before we started, which is You and I by Oh Brother. Dude. <laughs> this record is so good. And I... Uh, it's just like a metal record. It's uh, what did I text you? I said it's. Uh, Here, I'll read it to you. Let's see if I can find it. Um, yeah, you you made some interesting comparisons. It is you say, um, it says they're like if Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Audio Slave were a Southern Gothic, Pink Flannery, not eyeliner metal band. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm I'm listening. It's just like wide open the whole time. Just whole notes, scooped mids, bass chords, and feelings. <laughs> okay. It's just like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of, um, 
it think about like really well produced Black Sabbath, you know, sort of that like languid stoner rock. Yeah. Like stoner metal, but um you don't have to be stoned to enjoy it. It's like so and they do a uh, a collaboration with Simon Neal from Biffy Clyro. Who they're Biffy Clyro is huge. Oh brother is like Biffy Clyro is like arena arena metal worldwide. Oh brother is like I've I, I've played with them. <laughs> they stayed in my house. <laughs> oh cool. Uh, I mean they're big, but you know like and they're a part of this like really great sort of scene in Georgia of just like uh, musicians who just like make a living wage, you know, and like play music that they're all talented enough to be like very famous, and they just play music that's like really good to them. Mm. okay well yeah he anyway they have this song with simon neal from from biffy clyro and like tanner from oh brother absolutely outshines him lyrically like i'm not lyrically vocally and and simon neal is like has a a big voice and uh tanner is just is just singing these huge you know when you hear somebody sing a note that just sounds like they have it just sounds like their throat is (laughs) is a tunnel and they're singing like four or five notes. Like he can do that. And it's just, um, I don't know if you're looking for like a good, big kind of eerie wide open rock and roll record. You and I by our brother. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely checking this out. Yeah. I can't stop sure. listening to it, man. Okay. It's, and it's kind of right on that line between rock and metal, but not like in a Nickelback way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you for making that distinction. But like in a, in a nineties, uh, yeah. Like the Pearl jam sound, like these guys love Soundgarden, okay. you know, and they love audio slave. Um, nice. and they love like, um, as I like dying and August burns red, you know, they love like these metal bands too. So. Well, and, and you mentioned black Sabbath, like that's, that's a good, I mean, like, like you said, like the fine line between metal and, and rock, like that's, yeah. Well, black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin are sort of like the beginning of, metal you know yeah i mean well it, it, th- those those guys are the fork in the road right like people who like rock and people who like metal like fi- find themselves at that intersection and some go one way and some go the other well it's like stone double pilots is the is like uh alt rock or butt rock yeah. You know? yeah out of out of um out of grunge so uh i hate it <laughs> it's bad it's not a good look for my guys but... that's all right They've never been, uh, besides uh, Dave D'Elia with that giant cowboy hat, they've never been a band for good looks. <laughs> no, that's not been their thing. That's all right. I mean, they're all handsome, but they they always look bad. They came up at a time where it was okay to not be like the best looking guy in the room. It was pre, yeah. pre-American Idol. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's talk about Cutting Grass, Volume 1 by Sturgill Simpson. Did you, all right. Did so you your next two records are on that giant list of music that I haven't gotten to from – I'm talking about I'm in like May and 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 uh, and June right now. I I'm not at all surprised. And I I also have some stuff like that go way way back that I still haven't gotten to. Uh Sturgill yeah. I I prioritize this one just because a lot of artists that I pay attention to were including Margot Price were like really pushing this record hard. So Cutting Grass Volume 1 like Sturgill Simpson not unlike Taylor Swift put out a surprise album earlier this year. And uh, in fact, he only put it out digitally. It's coming out. I, I have it ordered on vinyl, but it won't be. It, it won't get to me until like January or February, um, because he didn't press it on vinyl. He just like recorded it and put it out, and it'll it'll get pressed and distributed later. In fact, he just put out volume two like a, a couple of days ago. Um, 
this is Sturgeon Simpson is straight up like country. Like the, like it is Very. um like Americana, but like leaning heavy onto the country side of the country rock. And Tyler Childers side of it. Yeah, yeah and the, I the bluegrass, the hills, the The yeah. Twang. Yeah, and I'm yeah. I'm here for it, man. I really like it. And um his Nirvana cover is one of the best covers I've ever heard. He I mean, he's just he's a good musician and I feel like he, he flies under the radar a lot for and I'm not totally sure why, but um, he he doesn't get a lot of the same press that like um, um, Jason Isbell and Brandy Carlisle get, but but he he's he's there like or even like the Avett brothers, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he he. I kind of think Sturgill gets exactly as much as he wants. Though. Oh, I think uh, well, and especially after this year, because like both yeah. both Volume One and Volume Two and cutting of Cutting Grass were got a lot of... they, they got picked up by like NPR, yeah. like a lot a lot of a lot of music critics were were all over these these albums, and I think rightly he so. likes to play it up a little bit too, though you know, like he you know when he was busking outside the C- CMT Awards with a Grammy in his case, like he was trying to make a point, but he was also having fun. <laughs> yeah. And he seems like a guy who is having fun, and I appreciate that about him. I I appreciate that he's he's in, he's enjoying the fact that he's a musician. You know, like I I think there's something to that. Have you listened to any Wheeler Walker Jr.? Are you familiar with him? No, it's absolutely uh, <laughs> problematic, but like intentionally uh, country music, and he always compares himself to like Sturgill and Jason Isbell. <laughs> he's a comedian who like makes a fake who's playing a fake like country character. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and he's always like, you know, people out here just don't want to hear the truth. You know, me, people like me and Sturgill and Jason, you know, are out here just trying to tell it like it is, but they don't sing like this absolutely awful song. Uh, I've told you my idea for a a Jason Isbell slash uh, Brandy Carlisle tribute band. Yeah. What was it called? It should be called um, Jason Carlisle and and the 400 Twins. (laughs) The 400 Twins. You know. So that that's be... that. That's my idea. four hundred. The idea of four hundred twins is terrifying. I love it. I, that that was that's that's the thing. I and, or if I, you could just call it the four hundred people twins. who look exactly like two hundred people. <laughs> I love that. That's that's what I want. I want I want to see a band called the four hundred twins. Anyway, so uh, in the final album on our list is called "That's How Rumors Get Started" by Margot Price. Now Margot Price is historically has been more in the in line of Sturgill Simpson. Like had her first two records were pretty like leaned pretty heavy on the on the country end of the americana scale but this year she put out that's how rumors get started and she decided like i'm gonna be a lot more pop than and i think part of it was i think she just got straight up fed up with country music and what it and like the the country radio and and what it does to women and i mean that that same ethos is what created the high women yeah you know and in inclined um and she's in that crew yeah, she is. Well, and I They're mean, all buds. earlier, in, in fact, uh, a couple of months ago, both Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires returned their membership cards to the um, yeah. the, the Country Music Association, which is a pretty bold move. And and so basically, yeah. as a way of saying, like, we do not like how this industry is treating specifically people like 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 people who aren't white men, and yeah. and so they just decided like we're not gonna you know we're not we're not gonna include our names on this. And I think Brandy or uh, Margot Price. In doing that's how rumors get started. I think that this was artistically her way of doing that exact same thing. And she still yeah. plays like the Ryman, and she's still all over Nashville, and is is still making really good, interesting music. But she she decided like I'm going to switch it up just to show people like I am not beholden to the the Country Music Association. Like they they don't own me. They don't get to decide where people, what kinds of people listen to me. And I'm I'm going to make a statement with this new album, and it's great. I really like this album. Um. 
we I saw her at a festival a couple years ago with my buddy from the Donovan Woods story, and she was wearing a one piece UK flag swimsuit underneath coveralls while she was pregnant in high heels. And she's a character. And I was just like, man, you are, you know, you're from my part of town. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, And uh, it was incredible. It was a huge festival. And there had been huge, huge names all day. And then Margot Price and Jason Isbell play. And I, like, got to call my wife because there was finally cell service and nobody was talking. (laughs) And it was just like, that's how good they were. You know what I mean? Like, they just played. And it was part of it is because they both have bands that like turn down a little bit so that the sound man can get them loud. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sadler Vaden is a is a real asset to a sound man. <laughs> he put out a great record this year too. Oh, we uh, talked about that. Mind. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, it was good. So yeah, so that's that's music. Or uh, you want to you ready to transition into books? Let's talk about books, and we're gonna start with one that I want to read really bad, and I probably will start soon. I'm kind of shocked. That you haven't read it. Uh, the so the first book on our list is called How to Write One Song by Jeff Tweedy. It just it just it came out when I had like six books. I just couldn't find a book I was happy with, and then I finally realized I just needed to read the finish a finish a book. I, I and a, so I I got like six, and that's the seventh one. It's it's excellent, um, and I'm, I'm a sucker for any book about writing. And I I mean I'm mm-hmm. I read this book fully knowing like I'm not about to go write. I'm not a songwriter. I'm not a musician. I probably will never write a song. But the thing about songwriting is it's it, it, not unlike every other type of writing is there a lot of the same muscles apply and the discipline of, and, and I realize like he's not writing about like, here's how to construct a melody. What he's doing is he's talking about the discipline of being somebody who sits down and creates something every day, whether you feel like it or not. And, um, and that, that is essentially what this book is about. And because Jeff Tweedy is a prolific songwriter, like he puts out new yeah. material all the time. And I love that he put this um, this book out just as a way of saying, like, look, it's not I, – I don't sit around and just get struck by lightning every day because I'm, like, this brilliant songwriter. I put in the work, and the the book is about what it means to put in the work. So Yeah. Um, so it's great. Jeff Tweedy, by the way, is the lead singer of Wilco, for people who don't know. And, uh, <laughs> for people who've never listened to this podcast before. Yeah, exactly. For anybody who's never listened to us talk about <laughs> oh anything. Oh, my gosh. I was Shout like, out I, to I to uh, Alpha Bravo Charlie. They're – we're going to be on an episode soonish of uh, their podcast, at, which is this podcast, but for Wilco. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go, go listen to those guys. Those are, those guys they're are sweet dudes. Yeah. yeah. I love hanging out with them. Uh, they got to, we got to talk about hockey. It was great. Yes, you did. <laughs> the next book on our list is this isn't happening by Stephen Hyden, which is a book about uh, the cultural impact of the Radiohead album, kid a now. Have you, have you read this book at all? Oh, or? no, but I want to read it now. <laughs> oh, did you, have you not heard of it? Did you, were you not aware no. of this book? I, I didn't know of this book. This is, this book is really Stephen Hyden. I think is one of the best music writers we've got. Um, he, he wrote a book what's, called, what's he uh, he, he wrote a book called your band is killing me, which is all about rivalry band rivalries. And it's, Ooh, it's yeah. Great. I, it's been kind of on my list, but I haven't read it yet. Uh, his, my favorite book of his is called twilight of the gods, which is about the first generation of rock stars who have either, uh, like died or like gone into retirement. And so, um, that, that so give me a couple of names. Like what, what, what are we establishing calling the first generation? Um, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so like, but like not, not necessarily Bruce Springsteen, I, I guess not gone into retirement, but basically just the idea that you have this entire generation of rock stars who are still like present, but they're, 
they're fading out. So like we're talking Tom Petty is one. He, yeah. And he writes about the death of Tom Petty in the book. Um, we're talking about Led Zeppelin. We're talking about The Who, The Rolling okay. Stones, Paul McCartney. You know, like just this entire gener- – basically, yeah. basically the baby boomer generation of rock stars. Like yeah. the people the, – the, the group of people who basically invented what we think of as rock and roll. And what does it mean that all of these individuals are aging out at the same time? So is it kind of like the um, – like what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? Dave Grohl retires question. I mean, it's it it is it's part of that conversation for okay. sure. Yeah. So this isn't happening. If, if you're if you're interested at all in Radiohead or basically like what what was like why was it significant that they went from OK Computer, which was mostly a guitar rock album, to Kid A, which was very much not a guitar rock album, and how both those albums are so important in like the evolution of what we think of as like radio rock, and um. Yeah. It's Stephen Hyden is is deeply insightful when it comes to like how like culturally we respond to musical trends. So go check that book out if you're interested. I think I think you're really gonna like it. Yeah. Um. So so there's that. Now your the next book on this list is yours. It's Why Fish Don't Exist. Yeah. So Lulu Miller, uh, much maligned podcast host from this podcast. Um, What? She's she was a part of the Invisibilia team. Oh, I love Invisibilia. Right? Isn't she on Invisibilia? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. That sounds right. Let me double check. No, you're right. I'm I'm almost okay. positive. Yeah. We talked early on in the podcast. Like, Invisibilia had put out four episodes and had gotten, like, so many awards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they we, were on we every they just, like, episode. Yeah. Yeah, and we were just like, Invisibilia's getting awards four episodes in. Here we are, 115. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Lulu Miller, she's been a Radio Lab uh, reporter, and she's kind of dropped off for a little bit, and she's she's back. She wrote this book called "Why Fish Don't Exist," or yeah, "Why Fish Don't Exist," and it is a, a, a my favorite thing. And I'm reading a book right now called um, "Enter the Aardvark," as a way, as a, a terrible metaphor, as a way of explanation. Uh, Enter the Aardvark is like the story about a congressman, current day, who receives a stuffed aardvark. But it's also a story about the guy who stuffed the aardvark, the taxidermist, originally, you know, in like 1890. And so it's like, a, you know, it's a story in a story and, uh, you know, like Assassin's Creed. <laughs> <laughs> like we were talking about the other day. Yeah. And honestly, in the Enter the Aardvark, it recently... Right after I sent you that text, I read a sentence and I was like, oh, no, it happened in this book, too. (laughs) So um, Why Fish Don't Exist, she is telling the story. It's a story about a – anyway, so it's a story about the scientist David Starr Jordan who is really interested in um, classifying animals and specifically fish. He's a big part of like how we classify animals um, in the classification system. And he, his middle name is Star because he, he logged all the stars as a child and gave himself the middle name Star. So David Star Jordan, and he like there was an earthquake and all of his fish and all the labels on there, like all of the jars that he kept all his specimens in broke, and so all the labels were no longer matched. And so he, instead of giving up, he started to pin the labels to the actual fish, and. 
but he so he's like this incredible like he's this guy who tries to like make order out of disorder but also in his life he's like this terrible guy who creates disorder and lulu is also going through tons of stuff in her personal life and like tearing down incredible sort of successes but you know figures out who she is along the way dude what are you doing with that mouse oh i'm so sorry I double click nervously. I will move it. I was gonna say you. You seem to be furiously like shopping on Amazon or something. I, um... No, I'm not. I, I am looking at my notes and highlighting paragraphs. Okay. I will. I sw- <laughs> I recently learned how to use Audition. Send me that file. I will cut out all the mouse clicks. No, no, no. We're keeping them in. Uh... <laughs> It's 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 part of our show. I just I, I was just like all of a sudden you were like like doing launch codes or something with the no. mouse. Anyway, so no no no, no. I have some I, I have some notes about the book like because there's some like a, it's got a lot of details. Okay, so I was like, I was double clicking each paragraph that I was trying to reference. Anyway, okay. yeah, it's a it's an incredible like story within a story. I feel like I just dragged on for so long and it wasn't worth it, but That's right. it's such an incredible story and it makes no sense until you read it and then you're like, oh, wow, nice. Okay, well, I mean, I knowing Lulu Miller as uh, I'm I'm a fan of her work, so I'll have to check that out. It's a great story though. Yeah, I've heard other people say good things about this book as well. So talk about all adults here. What is this? Emma Straub has become my favorite uh, author, like, out of nowhere. Is this a novel? Yeah, it's a novel. It's just about, uh, like, a Midwestern family, which, you know, novels tend to be about. And, uh, like, you know, the matriarch sort of has some regrets and just decides to confront them, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, like page one, sentence one, a lady in a town gets hit by a school bus and things immediately be, begin being put into perspective for people and coming to heads. And and it just kind of follows his family as people begin to just sort of make peace with their demons, but not in a way where it's like, and then everything was resolved. You know, like at the end, like life still kind of sucks, but everybody's just good with it. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it reminds me, I had a conversation with my therapist the other day. I was like, I don't know. Lamictal should be considered a party drug and everybody should take it. And she goes, what, what, what's happening when you take it? Are you like getting high? And I was like, no, 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 There's no state change. It took me so long to realize this. I'm just, I'm just all right. <laughs> I'm just all she right. Goes, I love your idea of a party. And I was like, yeah, a party to me is when people are just, all of a sudden realize, you know, we're all right, you know, so we can move on now. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what this book is. It's like that, just like that realization on a really specific and relatable level. Interesting. If so, you are a human who has a relative. So what about apartment? What is this? Uh, Teddy Wayne wrote this book that is just like sort of an MFA, like, look at me. Um, darling, you know what I mean? Just one of those sort of like Jonathan friends and is gonna maybe, you know, if this pick, if it was like 200 pages longer, Jonathan friends would have blurbed it kind of situation. So also a novel. Yeah. But it's also, it just kind of deals with, you know, those really important interpersonal things that we don't deal with that sometimes come to a head <laughs> in a way that other people have to start dealing with them. Sure. <laughs> 2020, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 
this kind of is that. And I read it as 2020 started to happen. And at first I was like, this is cute. You'll get an award. Congratulations. Mm. And I, I don't know. I keep thinking about it. And I've loaned it out a few times. <laughs> oh, cool. So that's that. Yeah. All right. Well, then uh, I have Native by Caitlin B. Curtis. This is a, this is a book. Uh, we Last year or two years ago, we talked about I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown, which is uh, yeah. like the, the subtitle is Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness, which is a book that's, by the way, has totally blown up this year. It's on Reese Witherspoon's um reading list and all all sorts of stuff but so anyway yeah, the the I've reason I kind of enjoyed watching my friend Rob's friend get famous this Yeah year. that's why I mean yeah friend is a strong word a person I interviewed one time who was very kind and patient with me as I attempted to interview her um <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, and it could not have happened to a nicer person. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. so excited. No, she's great. Yeah, she is. Um, but anyway, Caitlin B. Curtis, this is someone we had prior to the p- pandemic. We had scheduled to come and preach at our church, and um, we had to cancel it, obviously. Um, but she wrote a similar type of book, but it was from the perspective of somebody who is uh, Native American. And the, the, the book is basically um, – it, it is an exploration about how sort of white American Christianity has, in lots of ways, marginalized and um, done wrong to um, to people of, of Native communities. And, of course, there there will always be the, the, the white fragility contingent who's like, I'm tired of being told how bad it is to be white. I understand that. But listen, like, we've done a lot of bad stuff, and we need to understand, like – the the we, we need to understand the perspectives of the people that we've hurt and the descendants of the people that we've hurt and yeah. like yeah you might not have been like working for Andrew Jackson the day they implemented the trail of tears but like i grew up in oklahoma and i certainly like live on land that was taken from somebody you know and so like that, that that's important and so this book does a really good job of kind of exploring faith through that through those eyes and how a lot of the times we we tend to um like e- even our language about faith tends to kind of be centered around whiteness and anytime we try and use other types of language about faith specifically when people who um have a native background talk about faith it it tends to kind of get um relegated in the like new agey type category and yeah. one of the things that Caitlin B. Curtis talks about in her book is like, look, no, these, this is the language of my ancestors who, who had a deep amount of faith. And so yeah. I, I should be allowed to use this language and I shouldn't like pastors should not have a problem with me using language about this type of thing. So anyway, um, I, I find books like this really, really helpful as a pastor. And um, I, 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 I think Caitlin Curtis is, a really necessary voice. And so I, I try not to just like fill this list with books about like theology or like church, um, like practice, but like, this is one that I felt like it came out this year and it was worth mentioning. So that's yeah. uh, native by Caitlin B. Curtis. And so next, uh, is another one of yours, which is devolution. Yeah. This feels like a real luxury devolution by Max Brooks. Um, so have you read, did you read World War Z? No, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of Max Brooks, but I did not read World War Z. Oh, whew, dude. I, I was going to say, what are you reading? But like books of substance is what you're reading. So I'm re- yeah, I'm reading books about mental health, but also I'm reading books about like bands. So uh, devolution is honestly more relevant than it should be. And 
What Max Brooks does is he plays with form, and I appreciate that because all the books we've talked about so far are written like books. Uh, you know, like yeah, nonfiction books are written one way, fiction books are written one way, and like Lulu Miller did kind of a weird thing, like a memoir biography, you know, and um, and and each one has its you know merit, but like what Max does, it's like this is is a um republishing of journals found at the scene of a green community created by a like a, a sort of Jeff Bezos kind of guy uh, in in North um, California after a volcano eruption and so the um, once this community is finally found it was like an off-the-grid green community that you know everybody worked remotely and once it's finally found it was realized that like something weird happened here and so they published journals uh from one of the members and then her brother is a journalist and he kind of interviews like um people in the area at park rangers and stuff and and so it's a book about how they um are in this remote area and as the once the um volcanoes erupted um like creatures, mythical creatures that we thought were mythical, like Bigfoot, you know, kind of has to move out of its hiding, mm. you know, in, in the, in the remote areas. And so, I don't know. It's a, it's a crazy story about how a community, a remote community, like deals with an emergency with an emergency, um, told through the perspective of like a reporter and interviews and a journal. That sounds really cool. Yeah, no. Max Brooks does. He he writes fiction. I, I have a friend who has a friend who writes fictional business proposals and tries to get them published. <laughs> and it's like nobody understands what that is. But she has like a real business proposal, all of the like a prospectus for a real business that makes authentically bear torn jeans. <laughs> You know, so like the liability section of the business proposal is like extensive. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like it's an actual business proposal for like you know investors, <laughs> and that's what Max Brooks does. Is he like writes fiction books that are not told like a fiction book is told? Oh wow! Like it's not first person, second person, or third person. It's a different thing. Okay. You know, like yeah. uh, like David S. Pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm my own thing. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, what about um, the resistors? Yeah. So I went and saw just Jen uh, uh, read from this book at Square Books um, with my friend, uh, author Tom Franklin, <laughs> um, at, the, at the beginning of the year. Uh-huh. And uh, it was great. It was back when people met places. And <laughs> uh, it was a crowd of like, Older community members, you know, asking questions that you would hear like graduate students ask <laughs> that are just asked to be, con- you know, so that people think they're smart. <laughs> so, you know, the themes in this book are clearly and, you know, like those questions. Yeah. And, you know, just one of those nice nights. People are drinking wine at a used bookstore. And uh, and it's out on my shelf for a while. But it's, it's this book about uh, a girl who's a pitcher for a baseball team that's in an illegal underground baseball league in a post, uh, a con- like a post, not post-apocalyptic, a dystopian, uh, post-capitalism, like Amazon controlled world. 
if that makes any sense at all. Sure, I'm with you. So it's it's a dystopian book. <laughs> sure, yes. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. Like it's I like understand what dystopian means. Yeah, about a family of resistors. Okay, but it, it's it's one of it, my favorite book is a book that is about baseball without being about baseball at all. You know, like okay. a book that heavily features baseball that is not about baseball. Sure. Uh, I write about that when I write fiction, and those are my favorite books. <laughs> so it's about this girl who's this incredible pitcher who, in a world where, like, baseball is an underground sport. That's not – like, unsanctioned baseball is an underground sport Interesting. for okay. poor people in a post-capitalist world. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and it's like – it's not about sports. It just happens to be, you know, about sports, about baseball. Uh, which leads me to the Cactus League. I was going to say, is the Cactus League about sports? Yeah. So if you know anything about baseball, the Cactus League is a reference to like Arizona, which is where you have uh, preseason, which is where sort of all the minor league, major league, everybody shows up. They play against each other. You know, your team, your favorite team will be playing like three games at the same time on a couple different fields. And each uh, team has like a practice complex in either Surprise, Arizona or Sunshine um, Florida, I think. And, um, yeah. And so anyway, it's, it's, it's a short story about like, you know, a middle-aged woman in town who likes to hang out with the baseball players, but she's kind of just doing her own thing. But people think she's a real spinster, you know, and a, and a, and a phenom who got into a lot of trouble and was going through a divorce and is trying to get his place back on the team and a rookie. And, you know, it's just like, a, it's a story about people in a real, you know, small specific place that just happens to be around a baseball field. So it's, yeah. I don't know. It's one of those really nice baseball is such a procedural sport that it allows for like so much space to tell a story in. Yeah. Like I, I wrote the short story that it like takes place over like uh, it's flash that kind of take place over each inning and it's just such a you know like the guy I turned it into was like oh what a great way to pace you know and i was like well i literally can't write uh i, I either write everything in one scene or i write you know i have i can't separate a story out so i have to like pace it over flashbacks through a through a one event so mm. baseball is the only thing i can write about that makes sense yeah Anyway, so uh, now you're, you're talking hard to handle. Yeah, and I, I talked. This is the second time here I've talked about. It. I can't remember if it was on a patron episode or on the main episode where we just recommended stuff. But uh, yeah, I read a book earlier this year called Hard, "Hard to Handle" by Steve Gorman. Steve Gorman was the drummer for the band The Black Crows, and yeah. "Hard to Handle" is his book about being in the Black Crows. And there has never been. I I, I got to say, having having read this book, having read a book about the Replacements, having read. Um, Books about various other bands and musicians. I've got to say, there it's possible there's never been another group of more self-destructive musicians than the Black Crows. Like so, so many opportunities to do, what like, about, like to, to succeed. <laughs> say what? What about Blind Melon? <laughs> well, I mean, that that didn't die early. You the know what I mean? Like successful, like Nirvana and like The Doors. You know, I mean, obviously yeah. they're they're. Yeah. Other, but like self sabotage like like not not self destructive in as in like they're going to like in their own lives or oh yeah, yeah. Just like, like there's like around, basically but... like we're gonna give you an opportunity to succeed and then somebody one of the Robinson brothers will say like oh yeah well we will punish you severely for trying to make us succeed I you gotcha know? um 
like we're talking about like that that type of thing like, like so, the so, so boys. they like alienating jimmy page it, like yeah. jimmy page so badly wanted the black crows to succeed and they were like no no jimmy page you don't you don't decide when we succeed we will fail on our own terms and so like screw you let Deppin. what yeah. do you know about music so so steve gorman just writes about what it was like to be in this band and i find like it, it is and I, I mentioned this when, when i mentioned when i talked about this before but it is just spilled tea it is like the whole book is just like and the the constant recurring theme of the book is steve gorman He's in the band. He loves being in the band. One of the Robinson brothers pisses him off, and he's like, I'm quitting the band. And then something happens. He's like, okay, well, I'll quit the band after the next thing that we do. Is this and, like the sequel of Sticky Fingers? I mean, it totally it, – it could be in that it is just it, – it is stories about very famous musicians doing really stupid things. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read it. Yeah. I, like, Sticky Fingers is the book that I never would have read unless you were like, you need to read this. And this feels – like I'm gonna, uh, I've just been kind of pining for that, like that really dense read yeah, full man. of terrible, terrible stories. Well, and it's and it's totally credible. Like this guy, he was in the, he was a founding member of the Black Crows, and he like. There are so many stories where you're like, I don't know which one of the Robinson brothers I would hate the most if I was this guy. And yeah. then he never, like, he kept saying, like, I'm gonna quit the band, and then. It, like at the end of, and then at the end of the chapter, he's like, "Okay, I can't quit the band yet. I'll quit the band after we tour with Jimmy Page. I'll I'll quit the band after we make this next album because I I really think we're going to turn around. Yeah. I mean, this it's the very. I mean, he is he is Charlie Brown and the Robinson Brothers are Lucy with the football, and it is just it's <laughs> it's brutal just to watch these guys torment this poor drummer over and over and over again as he keeps thinking like, okay, we will we will be a healthy functional band." the next time we do something <laughs> and it's just yeah. uh oh god you're the couple in college you like keeps being like we can't do this and then somebody's like why not and the other one's like i don't know <laughs> yeah like oh no, no. it's it's torment it's torture so yeah hard to handle by steve gorman it's very much worth it but by the way i think it was ghostwritten by steve steven hyden so steven hyden makes another appearance so we're gonna talk about games and there are three items on the list and all three are yours so uh talk about the last of us too so I'm just going to talk about games in a group. This oh. year was a year of, like I said, sort of earnestness, but also a game of like comfort. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing I was the most grateful for was, so there's this game called City Skylines where you, you know, you build a city. And they've just developed that game. It came out so many years ago. And they've just continued to update and care for and continue to like develop the community of people who like build stuff for the game. Um, and it's just, it's just beautiful in a year where like nobody was getting along cities was great. We were all building cities where things were happening. Uh, and then, so then, and then the last of us two is like a follow up to a, a, an incredible game. And, and so that was super comforting. It, it was terrifying. It was an absolutely transcendent game. Um, so, uh, if you are into like really good storage, you played last of us one, right? I played, a little bit of the last of us one i got to the point where yeah. I, I i got to a point i couldn't get past and i was like screw this i'm going back to assassin's creed where you were exhausted yes emotionally, emotionally. yeah <laughs> that's what the last of us two is but i powered through because last time like i got to the very end and quit and then like opened it up walked through a set of double doors and triggered like the end credits <laughs> mm. uh but uh, speaking of assassin's creed they came out with a new edition and it was not earth shattering it did not you know, like, it got a good rating because it's a huge feat, but it's not, you know, it was fine. But it was so comforting to, like, live in that world. You know, like, you've escaped into that world in a big way this year. Like, the world that Ubisoft has created is 
is it's so historically accurate, but it's so surreal and it puts you into these places we've only heard about. You know, you get to experience and they even have it in a way like if you want to play with your kids, you can like just go through like exploration mode and turn off all the violence and stuff and just interact with these historically created worlds. And, oh, I didn't uh, know you could do that. Well, that hap- I think that starts in Origins. That's new. Okay. Well, that's very cool. I have to remember that. Yeah, me and me and uh, Austin, like I'm this I'm this like powerful Viking lady who's like pretty accurate to history, and I'm you know you know just exploring England with my daughter, and it was fun. Um, and then like uh, in the same vein, City Skylines, the folks over at Transport Tycoon made an addition that was beautiful, and just like it wasn't earth shattering, it was just nice. Star Wars made a made a, a squadrons it's not it's not incredible it's a great you fly x-wings man nice. we're stuck at home you get to fly x-wings avengers square enix made an avengers game and i told you early on like i was like i don't like it. <laughs> yeah and then because uh, you were like let me know because i want to play with my kids and then i texted you today i was like you know what uh me and austin played this for a while it was great because you're kamala khan she's uh, a young muslim girl uh who is miss marvel and you sort of uh go and reassemble the avengers and so you have these new characters and these iconic characters but it's just like a beat-em-up but it's not violent uh the last of his two assassin's creed valhalla there were moments where i was like i do not want to keep playing this game because i just don't want to decapitate someone so specifically (laughs) yeah really ever again um and to assassin's creed ubisoft's credit you can turn that off uh, the Last of Us Two, you cannot turn that off. You got to deal with it. Um, I mean, it's kind of like the key feature of the game is like the yeah, you know, the jump out <laughs> yeah. of nowhere and destroy you violence. Absolute violent moments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're playing the game they made like what uh, 13 years ago, and yeah. it's still so incredibly graphic. And uh, I don't know, it, it blows my mind what they did that many years ago. Yeah, um, but yeah, Avengers is like a beat 'em up in that. Uh, if you're like me and you're like, you don't want to talk, you don't want to like expose your kids to a ton of violence, but you also were like a kid who grew up with a bunch of brothers on a farm and you're totally good with a bunch of like wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> like Avengers, Avengers is a tight game to play. <laughs> nice. Uh, we may it's have to like robots, you know, and like people in mech armor. So, so far. Cool. And, uh, yeah, it's just a fun, like, uh, it kind of reminds me of Star Wars, um, the, the Jedi game that came out a, a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, and the villains are are kind of kind of the silliest uh, villains, you know. Kang is Kang one of the villains? No, but you have like Croc and um, what's the guy's name who gets gamma headed? The Inhuman, the scientist guy. Oh, I can't remember. I know, I know he you're was talking like, about with Red Hulk a long time ago, and then he like made a re. Anyway, yeah, it's him. Nice. Like, it's mech suit, yeah. Okay. Well, do you want to talk about comedy? Yeah. This is a new category it. for us. So you you got in times I've fun comedy before. Well, uh, we we've never, we've usually lumped it in with like TV or movies. Oh, so, you know. Okay. So we just we decided to make this its own category this time. But so in times fun uh, by Mark Maron. I watched this. This was hilarious. This was basically um, the um, um, Palm Springs. Like, this was made before pandemic, but wow. It seems like it was made fully aware that there would be yeah. a pandemic. Like, you know, it feels like, like he lived to November and then made this. And then, like, his life continued to get 
worse, and he's continued to explore it publicly. Yeah. But it feels like he lived all the way to now and then went back to March and put this out. Yeah, it does. And it's just the whole bit about turmeric. I, I, you know, sometimes I'll just like put it, I'll just like take a dash. <laughs> but then we I gotta make have sure black pepper to activate pepper. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's genius, man. Um, anyway, sort of, I'm taking it, tumor now. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard to talk about comedy without giving it away. Cause it's so like, you know, you don't want to give away the jokes, I know. but it, it is, it is super funny. It's a really good, it's a, it's a good special. He's, he's a man who has been very talented for a long time, who as Phoebe Bridgers says, uh, you can you, you put his, you can put your hand on his liver until his resentment's gotten smaller. <laughs> and he, even though his life has gotten tougher, like he's just gotten the success in just, being earnest finally you yes. know and like finally just accepting life for what it is and um and that is that is what in times fun is it is him having as much fun as he can with it's sort of the opposite of his last special where he was like trying to deal his new special is like well we're here i, I uh, think this is his best I've, I've watched all of his specials i think this is his best one yeah, 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 yeah. Well, like, I don't know. I'm kind of going back and thinking some of his early stuff is best, like, from a joke-for-joke joke perspective. Like he was a good joke writer. No, even before Thinky Pain. Like, mm-hmm. I'm talking about, like, his Conan days, you know? Oh, like, yeah, he, 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 was, a he good was a really joke good joke writer. writer. You're right. But but his this newest one is his best of what he has become. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think his last one was the second best. I mean, Thinky Pain was... Yeah, his last one. Was well, really... I, he's he's as the longer he does the podcast, he's he's like working out his like because a lot of it is like free association thought, and instead of working out new material at the comedy store, he's working it out in the pre-show of his podcast, and um and he's he's figuring out what's funny before he even gets to the comedy store. So he's he's getting a leg up just by doing the podcast, I think. Yeah, and yeah. and he's doing like the he's doing like the the Instagram lives in the morning now, where he's like he's actually kind of trying to like do bits. And yeah, stuff. Uh, talk about speaking, Jackie by Rob Delaney. Yeah, speaking of people who like who didn't have to figure out um, their like how to be earnest publicly. Now, I think Rob Delaney reading his memoir. <laughs> uh, I think he spent a lot of time privately trying to work it out before he became a public figure. But Rob Delaney is just like a big, sweaty, loud guy with a lot of ideas trying to like figure out how to live in England in a small, you know, like in a small, quiet space. Yeah. And I resonate so much with that. <laughs> and so I just love what like his black shirt is so covered in sweat by the end of this special. And I just I just April was like, he should have thought about that. And I was like. You know, we think about things like that, <laughs> people like me and Rob. Yeah, and this is the best option we have. I mean, what do you want? What do you want us to wear? A purple shirt? That would have been worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's and doing it's his best. Just he has had the worst life for a guy who has had such a good life. Mm. Uh, anyway, Rob Delaney, he is he is putting it out there as earnest as possible. Is this on? <laughs> HBO and, Max or Netflix? I think so. I honestly, I think it's on HBO Max, okay, but I couldn't cool. tell. Uh, he also one, was in the show I've talked about a ton. Catastrophe. Which finished up. Yeah, Catastrophe. Yeah. Which is him and uh, Sharon Horgan and him are two of the funniest people on earth who are just making comedy out of just the shit 
that you know just like the muck yeah and it's it's they are they are saints um all right well so next we've got middle ditch and schwartz you watched this right yeah <laughs> this is it's there are three episodes it's a it's a two-man improv team uh ben schwartz and Thomas middle ditch. of the three of them say what i think i've only seen two of them they're all very funny. the 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 middle one was one the first time I watched. It, I didn't really like follow that that well because there's like a billion characters. But uh, I went, Caroline and I went back and rewatched the second one a couple of nights ago, and it is it's a lot better than I remembered it being. And so yeah, the, basically the setup is these two guys that come out on stage. It's a live crowd, obviously pre COVID, and they like find some random person in the crowd. They talk to them for five minutes or so, and then they make an hour long improv sketch out of basically based off of whatever they learn about this person and each and every time it's just like a callback just it's a, a callback machine. buffet it is so yeah. good um yeah and, and they will oh they will save a bit man yeah they will they will sit on a bit for ever and that is restraint oh it reminds me of uh Bruce Almighty <laughs> what's the scene where he's like uh telling his wife to wait he's like you know you have to wait and it leads to more pleasure pleasure but when he first got his powers you know he's like you have to wait and just sit on it sorry that was a really we can cut that reference out i did not nail it uh yeah middle distance sports man it's well it's like watching somebody do a comedy magic trick you know like you you can't believe especially like how they end each one like there there is there's this it's it's like they planned it but you know they didn't it's impossible that they did but the whole thing comes together in this incredibly well thought out way for two guys who are just like riffing and just playing, like bouncing off of each other in real time. It, it really is amazing to watch. Yeah. And it, I'm not a guy who likes a long form improv outside of the fact that like, I think it's impressive, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll do one a year. Um, this, is, this is the best improv I've ever seen. And like I've got some friends who do some incredible. They do like a yearly long form improv show, and it's incredible. But like, I don't even go to it every year, you know. Yeah. And, and these are like my neighbors that I like. Uh, and and I definitely got annoyed at times, but like by the end, it was. I never. I was never like I'm gonna turn this off. You know what I mean? I would yeah. be like, Am I still into this? And then something. And then it would always pay off. And then by the end, I was always like, Wow, that was wild. Yeah. It, like, it's what. Very and watching them love each other doing it, you know, like they are impressed with each other. They both kind of have that Jimmy Fallon, like break the joke for a second mentality. Like their goal. They have good chemistry. To, yeah. And, and their goal is to tell the best story they can tell while also trying to get the other one to bust the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Great. And so that's kind of a game within the game. Yes, I think that's right. Um, and then we've got Quarter Life Crisis by Taylor Tomlinson. Did you watch this? No, I meant to. Like, it's, I've got a long list of of uh, comedy specials that I've not gotten to, and this is on it. So she uh, was on Mark's podcast. I listened to her interview. I, I, yeah, I have listened to her episode, great. and I, I was just kind of impressed with her. You know, she's like, a good comic. I've seen I've seen her perform. Super she's good. I'd never seen her. She seems so savvy, and um, and it came out like right at the same time as the Taylor Swift documentary, and so I thought that was like. <laughs> wonderfully uh you know like she got a bump and that's that's funny and so i was like all right i'll, I'll check it out and it, she just tells some great jokes 
from a fun perspective. You know, like she grew up in a like as a Christian comic because she grew up in a church and that's where like she got her comic training. Yeah. You know, and her like dad was a part of it. But also she's just like a person now. And so there's like a lot of weird baggage. And she <laughs> instead of alluding to it, she just like unpacks it on stage <laughs> And then instead of like dealing with it, she just tells jokes on top of it. And it's, you know, it's a really special sort of experience. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that was it was great. Well, I'm going to have to check it out. Now, t- I saw you tweeted about Nate. Yeah, Nate's a whole thing, man. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's a it's a one man show uh, thing. So it's uh, Natalie Palamides, um, and I so I heard her on the Good One podcast that you recommended uh, years ago, um, and she was just incredible. That podcast is great. This her episode and the recent, um, um, oh, what's his name? The This American Life, David Sedaris. Uh huh. Yeah, his episode was incredible. Uh, anyway. Natalie Palamides, uh, does, she comes out as Nate. He's this, like, dude in cargo camo pants and combat boots and, like, no shirt, hairy chest. So she's, like, shirtless with just, like, fake hair on her, like, woman, her, like, small woman's body <laughs> with, like, a big flannel coat, like, flannel plaid coat. And a mustache and a black eye and a headband, like a white, you know, bandana tied around her back. And she's like, she talks like this the whole time. And she just comes out and does this show about this, like, empathetic, like this super toxically masculine dude who's, like, trying to figure out empathy. And she asks some really, like, tough, fucked up questions, man. Yeah. In the form of this, like, wild, wild one-man show, like, performance art that is a comedy show, too. She picks a fight with a guy in the crowd and gets him out, gets him to come out and fight her. And this guy, if I fought this guy, people would, like, post it on YouTube and be like, look at JB, he's such an asshole for fighting this guy who's so much smaller than him. And she's a, she looks like a tiny, tiny woman compared to this guy. Oh, wow. And she's like... She comes out on a little like 25 cc dirt bike, <laughs> you know, and like gets the crowd pumped up and starts like chugging uh, Lacroix and like and like protein powder. <laughs> it's such a like I I don't know. I think last year I suggested my favorite shapes, and I said like I don't know if you should watch this or not, but I swear to God, if you watch it, you'll have never seen anything like it. That's what this is. Amy Poehler at the beginning is like, this is just funny. And sometimes art makes people really mad. <laughs> All right. You like, I swear to God, if you watch this, you will have never seen anything like this. Okay. I'll check it out. Yeah. Do you remember the weird fire scene with the Christmas monster in Roma? Yeah. Yeah. It's just an hour of that, man. <laughs> All right, sold. <laughs> Swear to God, you've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> I'm in. I'll check it out. I'll, I'm going to add it to my to my queue. And Brilliant. if there was a different category, I would put it in that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but there's not. 
So it's a comedy special. Well, sometimes well, I felt the same way about the Brene Brown thing. Like, I don't know. Like, where do you put this? You know what I mean? Like, it's it, um, just like speeches, public performances. And yeah. Like... Oh, my gosh. The Brene Brown Mark Maron podcast last year was like my favorite uh, whatever it was. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. So good. So good. All right. Two people who have living their life to, up to that point just to have that conversation. I'm, anyway, well, I'm, a, I'm a fan of both. Yeah. Say what? Speaking of podcasts. Yeah. You, you submitted no podcasts. Well, I'm gonna. I've got, I've got one that I just thought about that I'm gonna. I'm gonna slide in. All right. But I, I, I have listened to a a uh, two seasons worth of Fake Doctors, Real Friends. Okay. Well, then you're ahead of me on this. Then um, I'm at still at the top of your list. I'm still in season one. Yeah, Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach Braff and Donald Faison is uh, it, it's a Scrubs rewatch podcast with uh, yeah. t- the two primary cast members of the show, and uh, it's I, I mean it's totally just like a. Obviously, these guys were in quarantine and needed <laughs> needed something to do, and um, it was good yeah. business. And to like do Donald it. Faison is very literally in his closet while his kids are outside of it. Yeah, and it's um look, look I, I I like Scrubs a lot, and it's given me a good. I've been looking for a good excuse to rewatch it, and this was perfect. So uh, they yeah. they interview Shea Serrano about his um his graphic, you know, like re novel say thing, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, if, if you're looking for a good rewatch podcast, and I always am, this is one of the best ones out there, I think, right now. Yeah. Just... Go back. Do it one episode at a time. That's what I'm doing. And and, uh, and go slow. Like, my first thought was, like, these guys could release this thing way fewer times a week. Yeah, they're going too I fast. sick of them. And then I was like, you know what, dude? You could just listen to it slower. Yeah. And that was honestly a part of my healing this year. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a good podcast. I enjoy it. Year. It's just nice to hear two people who have worked together on a thing you really love, who are honestly to God still best friends. Yeah, and who like you know sometimes you disagree with and sometimes you don't, and it doesn't feel like that big of a deal. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, and and they're they're sometimes delightful. I'm like Zach Braff. You think that? Well, you know what? I don't. <laughs> I love I love the running uh, joke that Zach Braff has still never seen Remember the Titans, and it just drives Donald Faze on crazy. It's so funny. It's he's like it's like his big breakout movie. It's like it's the thing that he cares the most about, and Zach Braff just cannot be bothered to watch Remember the Titans, even though I you will can stream it for free on Disney Plus. By season two, you will find that the producer and the sort of fact person. Um, or no, the director and the producer or engineer and producer, whatever. Anyway, they kind of become characters, and so that's fun. Oh, that's cool. Okay, yeah, looking forward to that. Um, yeah. All right. Well, then, then okay. So, what's the other one that you've got? So, uh, I've been into working it out with uh, Mike Perbiglia, and Ooh, I've got all those sta- saved on my phone. I just not started them yet. So he just did his second episode with Ira Glass, where Ira Glass kind of comes back and gives a report card, and Ira Glass is like talking about how. Oh, wow, you've really become a podcaster. And if I'm being honest, like, it's not a great podcast. And it's not revolutionary. And none of the stuff they discover is revolutionary. Well, you, but, th- all those things can be said about this podcast. Right. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, Ira Glass would never say that about this podcast. And he probably shouldn't say that about Mike's. But he's proud of Mike. And what Mike is doing is literally just trying to work it out. Yeah. And so I love process. And... And so that's the thing is like, at first I was like, this isn't as good as I wanted to be. And then I thought, no, this is process. And so that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And then like, uh, Jack Ananoff has like a Bruce Springsteen song, like his, his, uh, 
his intro to the record is like jacking off on a super reverby acoustic guitar, like just in a big room. And it's like, Oh, I'm working it out. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, so that's cool. And yeah, he just talks to comedians and more and more just artists, but uh, where he goes through like the slow round of questions that he has prepared questions. And they, they basically just workshop bits together. And he like he's had Matt Berninger on, and he's had David Sedaris on, but he also has a ton of great comedians. Like that's how I found out about Nate. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, the episode he did with um, who's the Gary, uh, the Great Depression, Goldman, Gary Goldman. Yeah, that was like an incredible episode. So cool. Wait, maybe not Gary Goldman. No. I was Gary Goldman. That was an episode of the Good One. <laughs> um. <laughs> What is that? Anyway. Guy's name? The guy who did the Great Depression. I know exactly what you're talking about. I have it. No, I was Gary Goldman. Okay. Oh, okay. Cool. But I was thinking of an episode of the Good One, not an episode of Working oh, It Out. I see. <laughs> Sorry. No, yeah. but Working Out. It's it's just like a nice. It's unfinished, and it's that's the point. Awesome. I I can't wait. I I cannot wait to to listen to it. Yeah. Um. Well, next on my list, I've got Political Beats, and Political Beats is not what it sounds like. It's it it is people. It's these two guys. I can't even remember their names, but they interview uh, journalists who are normally do like who cover politics. Like they've, I've, I think they've done like Chris Hayes. They've they've interviewed uh, like a couple of other like people you'd probably recognize. But they don't interview them about politics. They interview them about their favorite band. And so what they do is they go through the entire discography of whatever band they're talking about. And it becomes like every episode is sort of like a really short audiobook about the life of whatever musician they're talking about. Like I, I just listened to part one of the Rolling Stones the other day, and it's three and a half hours long, <laughs> and they and they only cover the 1960s. And then the, then part two is going to be the entire rest of the Rolling Stones catalog. And so I've just taken this as an opportunity to just dive as deep as I can into whatever band they're going to talk about next. And so they've done like the Who, they've done. Um, Pink Floyd, uh, who who else? The, the the replacements, and like whatever whatever's coming up. Like I'll just be like, okay, I'm gonna spend a week just doing as much deep dive into this particular band as I can. And I always really enjoy the discussion because the the two guys who host the podcast know like everything about music history, and so like they they just dig deep. And there's a listener to this podcast that recommended this to me, and I can't remember who it was, and I apologize to that person. Um. But uh, it, it has been really rewarding. I've enjoyed it a lot this year. And then another podcast that I've enjoyed uh, just as much is a podcast called Single Podcast Theory, which is a Pearl Jam podcast. And I mentioned before, like, I've listened to a lot of Pearl Jam this year. This is why. Because I went back and I downloaded every old episode of Single Podcast Theory and just listened to every episode in order. And whatever they were going to talk about next, I, I would just deep dive into that. So I've, like, listened to every album probably a dozen times. I've, there are some songs I've listened to probably twenty times because they'll do like individual song episodes. They they'll they'll do an episode where they just talk about like one particular concert bootleg. So I'll download that bootleg and I'll just listen to like I'll, I like just today I was listening to a Pearl Jam concert from Toronto from 2016 and just enjoying the hell out of it. And because yeah. um, and just really digging into what Pearl Jam fandom looks like and just enjoying it. So that's single podcast theory and political beats. Nice. From me. And then, um, have you listened to either of those, by the way? I haven't. No. They're but both I, I want to. They sound 
They both, and especially now that I'm like becoming a Pearl Jam fan. If if you're trying to become a Pearl Jam fan, single podcast theory is yeah. a must. They they they're a great guide for you. They they will really help like sort of take you through that. Uh, then another one. The next two are more political by nature. Uh, one is Majority Fifty Four with Jason Jason Kander. Uh, th- this is a podcast for people who have um maga folks in their life and you don't know how to talk to them like this this is like basically like they get into like fact checking conspiracy theories they get into um like news stories that are being misrepresented by uh say fox news or newsmax or whatever and they just really like they, they do a good job of kind of modeling like okay if you have a relative who believes this thing the yeah. best thing to say to this person is not you're an idiot for thinking this. The best way to and, – and then they get into like – because Jason Kander was a congressman from Missouri. Like he, he lives in, in the part of the country that does sort of like deal with this. And he's like here, is, here are effective ways of talking to people who tend to subscribe to this way of thinking that I found effective and disarming. So – and it's not like learning how to win an argument. It is like here's how to rehumanize the people in your life that you think are monsters. And I, I find that very, very useful right now. And then finally, I, I wanted to give a shout out to In the Bubble with Andy Slavitt because Andy Slavitt was one of the, the key architects of the um, Affordable Care Act during the Obama administration. Oh, yeah. And he has been, I think, a really useful, I think, necessary at times voice of reason in the middle of a the biggest public health, health crisis in 100 years. And um, as I've, I've listened to this podcast and found myself really needing to know what they're talking about specifically because I'm trying to like, just like the rest of us live through this pandemic and in the bubble has been a really good kind of source for, you know, good, well fact-checked information on how to do that. So for th- sure, those are my podcasts from 2020. Do you have can any- I, can I toss one more in at the yeah, end please. that I just thought about? Um, this has been a absolute, so my wife is a night shift nurse and every other weekend, um, <clears throat> a single parent, not a fully single parent, like, and, and I cannot imagine what that's like, but I am sort of a single parent for like seven days. And so those, those weekends can be kind of daunting. And, uh, I, I love hanging out with the kids, but it's just like, you got to kind of plan it all by yourself. And, uh, every Saturday morning when I wake up and I'm like, all right, what are we going to do? I'm like, well, first thing we're going to do is we're going to put love it or leave it on the Alexa and cook some breakfast. Nice. <laughs> and just love it or leave it, man, has gotten me through this. Love it or leave it has been a godsend this year. John Love it has gone through a lot of the same stuff. Is, yeah, specifically, I have it on my list that love it or leave it colon back in the closet. <laughs> yes. And like him and Ronan have gone through some stuff that me and April have learned from, <laughs> you know, like yeah. his, even his ad reads bring me joy. It is just, you know, just, he always brings on who I need to hear from anytime he has Guy Branham on. <laughs> Guy Branham just... is so good on that show. Yes. <laughs> uh, the other day I was like, what is it when it's chauvinism, when you are like, you hear, Someone who, who's a woman and you're bummed only because it's not Guy Branham. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah, man. Love it or leave. It's been great this year. Yeah. Oh man. The, uh, him and Guy Branham, uh, early on in the year while I was working on some building my bookshelf and listening to a lot of them 
while I was walking through Lowe's were imagining what kind of husbands they would be to what kind of wives. <laughs> it was just incredible. It was just incredible. And I just, every every moment of that show this year. John Lovett, if you hear about this show, if you hear about this, you have you have maybe saved my life this year. Maybe, maybe. You know. Yeah, I went to a live taping of Love It or Leave It uh, in 2019, and it was outstanding in Dallas. So, so good. if John Lovett does hear this, like I, who was who was the guest? It was uh, Julian Castro. Oh, that was a great episode. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, then, uh, JB, uh, you, per our tradition, what what's the what's the final thing that people are going to need to tweet oh, us once they fit? I was this? thinking about this earlier, and I, I, I don't know. Oh, I had an idea. What if we picked one of our favorite creators this year and we just had our people who listen to this all the way to the end tag us with them in a tweet? Okay. So like Jason Isbell or what do we think? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. So if you listen to this all the way through, <laughs> oh my God. tweet <laughs> at Jason Isbell. You should talk to at Letters Clark and at Rob Carmack. I don't know if I can handle this. Just the possibility hashtag, of it gives me hives. Hashtag cowpunk. Cowpunk. Okay. Okay. If, Jason, if you say hashtag cowpunk, Jason is what's going to be like, I'm here. What's up? Yeah. And let him know. He's We're about to know. start a podcast series on his body of work. So if he has any comments, he better let us know now. Hey, but seriously, if a lot of y'all do that, um, and then it like gets if it gets a little bit of momentum, I I know a guy who knows a guy, so like I could also <laughs> lean on that a little bit, and then and then we could have him on at the end of our season. I, I'm, I'm going to put Jason Isbell in the category of people that I don't know that I actually do want to talk to. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather admire him from afar uh, than you know. Well, then we can set up a situation where um, we set up a call and then we just ignore it. And then it's actually the thing that we say we do to Bruce all the time. We can mute him. <laughs> oh, Jason, it's good to see you, bud. Oh, um, your microphone's not working. J- Jason, listen, you got you to gotta get some better sound quality in your, in your place. You would tweet about that, dude. Yeah, I was just on an interview with some guys who really wanted to talk to me. And I swear to God, they muted me. <laughs> They spent three and a half hours talking about their favorite stuff, and they didn't once talk about my new album. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, yeah. Okay. So I think Jason's song and play it on guitar every day of my life. So okay. So it's cowpunk. That's the hashtag. Cowpunk. Hashtag gotta... cowpunk. And also feel free to tweet at Jason Isbell. Oh my goodness. Okay. And tell him to come on our show so that Rob will. <laughs> so that I'll freak Rob out. Will. Break out in hashtag hives. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know if I can handle this at all. But yeah, let's let's do that. All right. So thanks so much everybody for listening. We hope everyone has a great holiday season. Have a good New Year's. Please don't wear hang out masks. with people. Wear don't your masks. Too much. Get don't vaccinated as soon as you can. And Get that shot. I am not gonna waste my shot. Yeah. Don't throw away that shot. So that shot. also, if you get one dose, make sure to get a second dose if a second dose is required. Yes. 
because otherwise you would be wasting my shot. Yeah, let's let's all let's all keep our distance, wear our masks, get vaccinated as soon as you're eligible to do so, and let's be done with this. Let's let's a year from now let's have this episode and have all, all sorts of stories about all the concerts we saw at the end of 2021. Let's all be pro life and that we do not kill people who are alive. And more than anything, for the listeners of this podcast, do we not want a Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band tour? Because we're not getting one until this pandemic no. is over. You understand that, right? You think Will Stevens is going to show up, or Bruce Springsteen, or Patty Scalfa? You think any of them dudes are going to show up? They went to Saturday Night Live the other night, but they're not going. They're gonna, they're not coming to your town. They're not going to Dallas. Dude, and some of them didn't go to Saturday Night Live because those dudes are being careful. Yeah, yeah. Gary didn't show up. Um, I think it might have just been. Oh, and Susie. Also, Gary. I got to be honest, man. I was not into that bass player. Well, no, he's not Gary. But also, he, he's not a bass player I'm into either. I don't know who it was. <laughs> I'm sorry, that guy. You're a way more successful bass player than I am. Hats off to you. I'm just not into that guy. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I'm sure the, the list of bass players who were available to quarantine for two weeks, um, you know, to play with Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I don't, I don't know what that list looked like, but. They picked. I gotta guy. be honest. With you, that list is infinitely long. <laughs> it's it's got to be long enough to where they didn't necessarily need to pick that guy. But whatever. <laughs> that list is infinitely long. Watch that be like Bruce's nephew or something. <laughs> like, hey guys, I'm a big fan of this podcast. I mean, sure, I like yeah. him. I thought he did a great job. Anyway, so no, it sounded it sounded great. He's there's just super head cool. movements that I was like real not into. It's hard. It's but hard also, play, April was like. Who's the guy in the scarves? <laughs> and I was like, that's little Steven. The and she was like, he doesn't scarves. need to be that close to Bruce's face. I Only think Patty that would... needs to be that close to Bruce's face. When they sang into each other's mouths, when they did the thing where they look into yeah. the, the microphone, I thought, like, I, they damn well better be quarantining together. <laughs> April goes, I don't want him to do that anyway, but he definitely doesn't need to do that now. No, that is setting a bad example. That is not modeling good social distancing. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> well, thanks everybody for listening. This was fun. I got to take my kids to school in the morning, so we're gonna have to get out of here. But uh, this this was so yeah. much fun. Looking forward to our Jason Isbell season. Whether or not he hears about us, or it matters not. We'll we'll do it anyway. Um, it's just at Jason Isbell. It's not that hard. Yeah. Anyway, thanks everybody. We'll see you guys. Very in... active on Twitter. If six of y'all tweet at him. He will notice. He's around. I mean, he 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 gets in fights with people who have far fewer followers than just about everybody who listens <laughs> to this. Um, anyway, we will. He's see, you will hear from us in January. We're going to get into the ne- next season, and until then, stay safe. Happy holidays. We'll see you next time.